0: The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk podcast network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. We begin episode 37 on this Saturday evening, March 13th, 2021, on a reflective note. March 11th. 2011, at 2.46 p.m. Japan time. A 9.1 magnitude earthquake hit off the coast of the Tohoku region in northeast Japan. It was the most powerful earthquake ever recorded there. And unfortunately, it was the first in a trio of disasters, the effects of which are still felt today, with the resulting tsunami and the meltdown of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Of course, if you kept up with some of the news this week, you would have noted many of the stories in Japan that would have commemorated the tragedy, which was confirmed to have killed almost 16,000 people, with more than 2,500 unaccounted for. Many of those stories, of course, were about the people who lost loved ones in the disasters, and how many of them are managing 10 years later. On top of that, you're also seeing stories about lessons from then, and these days, on at least public broadcasters like NHK World, you'll see shows and features on disaster preparedness. I wanted to start this week's episode with our own thoughts 10 years later. Where were you, and what was running through your mind at the time? Who wants to go first? Or should I go first? I remember 10 years ago, I was in the process of falling asleep. I know I was up late that night, which is quite often I'm up late. And then I think as I fell asleep, the first notice I got of the earthquake was actually a Facebook post put up by... Ron Manziak, the uh, host of I forgot what's called what his podcast was called um I think it was called it, it was a it was a Japan related podcast we ha- he had at the time I forgot what he uh, does these days I think he's uh, repurposed it recently His post on it was the first mention I saw of the earthquake but at the time I didn't know how serious it was about to get. And then I don't know at what point during the night I found out it was serious. And I know waking up and turning on NHK World that morning, I knew how serious it was. I, I don't know where I started to get that sense, though, if it was listening to like something like 680 News or turning on NHK World, which... The app by that point had started to exist, and it started off a long month on NHK World of coverage, the likes of which we had I hadn't seen to that point and haven't seen since. Basically, they they did a cycle of thirty minutes English language news broadcasting, and then the other 30 minutes of NHK domestic Japanese language programming. And it also touched off a, obviously a wave of support from other, from many of us here in the fandom and just generally speaking around the world. I remember Anime News Network even posting up a link to NHK World as well. and. Cable operators like Rogers, I don't think Bell had it had it at the time, but Rogers made TV Japan free for a few months as well in case people want to keep up with the news through that means. That's the uh, international channel that's run by NHK and a consortium of Japanese broadcasters. I think Microsoft may actually have a stake in it too. But that's my memory and basically have, all programming was at a standstill for a few months there. And the, well, I'm at the risk of, of sounding a bit repetitive because I know I told this story in the lone recording that ended version 1 back in 2012, almost a year after that earthquake. I told the story of Gene Otani who was the NHK World News Anchor on duty at the time of the earthquake. And he came on at 3 p.m. local time there and called it live as the tsunami started to weave or envelop its way through the that part of the Tohoku region. And reading up a little later on, I learned that Mr. Otani this wasn't the first time that he had done coverage of a major earthquake and actually he may have made or made his name covering the other one that had happened in recent years there which was the 1995 Great Hanshin earthquake he worked at a radio station there as a uh, as a temp and Did and after after experiencing the earthquake and helping people in the immediate aftermath, he broadcasted for fifty straight hours, information in English, I believe, won an award for that, and that and his um, broadcasting career really started to take off from that point. And since then, he's taken on various broadcasting jobs in Japan, briefly worked with Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and then returned back to Japanese airwaves to his current position with NHK World. And that's where he stands today as their, I believe, their lead business editor during their newscasts now. And in some interviews, and I know that uh, NHK World won a few accolades for the way they covered that in interviews since uh, Gino Tani has stated he didn't have time to think about his first experience in 1995 while covering things in 2011 he just soldiered through and i think that's i think the that's the experience of 1995 talking right there so that's the uh, story that I could at least remember from the, that day. I, I can I can safely say I was awake uh, when the ten years by the minute passed on. What's to us Thursday morning, twelve forty six a.m. Toronto time. That's the uh, time difference. So I did watch some of the coverage the 10th actual live 10th anniversary coverage which culminated in a moment of silence throughout Japan and at a national memorial which was attended by the prime minister and the emperor and empress. And um I know that NHK World did a whole, dedicated a whole hour to that and some Feature reports looking back on it. But I guess those are my random memories that I can think of right now in talking about the events of the Great East Japan earthquake. Okay. Does anyone else want to say anything? Or anyone else have a thought to offer about from that time? One thing I
1: will say is that I remember in the two or three or four years after the earthquake, uh, I would start to notice that there would be multiple movies coming out from Japan using the aftermath of the earthquake as the setting for their film. and. The, and I've talked about the movie that I will talk about in the past on this podcast, but the there is a movie called My Man that was uh, is the one that always sticks in my mind because while they used they use the the earthquake and tsunami as a the backdrop of of the situation that the characters were in. Uh, The movie actually takes a very dark turn in the sense that you have two blood relatives who have no one to turn to but each other, and their relationship takes a sharp turn towards the incestuous route. And... I remember being kind of disturbed throughout that movie because there were certain scenes that were very unsettling. And I had one friend that I took to go see this movie with and his first his first words to me were what the fuck, Kevin? And I couldn't help but laugh. But well, the point of what I'm talking about here is that you can see the impact that the earthquake made to the people. And the number of films that came out during that time period were definitely in the minds of those people while they were you know, directing or storyboarding or screenwriting those films. And I wish I saw more films. With the the earthquake as a backdrop, because sometimes I would wonder, like, oh, what's in, like, what was in their mind while they were making these films? Like, it made me wonder how they were impacted. Just something to think about on my end.
0: Well, when you bring that up, it kind of brought to mind the reason why your name became such a hit a few years later because that that story centers around a major disaster that happens in a little town and many people i think shinkai himself has uh, stated that 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 plot uh, that plot point that disaster i think re- resonated with a lot of viewers cuz cuz of the Disaster.
2: So I thought that's a fair point. Or that and people thought he was taking advantage of it, which he said he obviously was not, and stuff like that. So it's this weird double-edged you know, sword, right?
0: I think that's. See, the thing is, then get in line. That's like trying to point a finger at Apple for their for their bad pra- for their bad factory practices at the Foxconn factories but then again Foxconn makes stuff for a lot of other companies as well
2: or we could say all the mining for all the precious materials we need for our electronics as well right
0: Mm -hmm. so and I don't think like I have trouble with that argument personally to say that Shinkai was exploiting that. Or others as, and stuff like that. In know, that point, too. Sometimes that's a coping mechanism to be able to tell a story, maybe a fictional story. I mean, one of the stories that kind of resonated to me, and it had really just this, this kind of doesn't really have much to do with the earthquake itself. Ruth Ozeki's hit novel, A Tale for the Time Being, is kind of set up by the earthquake as well. and she admitted that she actually kind of pivoted her story to kind of incorporate the events of the earthquake into it really it had a, really the story itself has nothing to do with it it's just she just repurposed that event as the catalyst for the chain of events in her story but i don't know i i have as i said i have trouble with that argument to say
2: but when you have something as big of an event as this, obviously it's gonna affect many uh people making their film, literature, or what have you. We've seen it after nine eleven and many other big events in the twentieth century and stuff like that. So it's not alone.
0: No, not in that sense. As I said, that's like that's like blaming Apple for everything that happens at Foxconn, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. And to to James' uh, statement just a second ago, I think that a lot of people, especially um, you know here on this side of the world, so in North America, I think that the gravity of this earthquake is often lost on us, at least as as a general sort of culture. You know, this this was a completely devastating tragedy that changed you know the entire country up until you know very much the present um if you look at um japan sinks just last year with the media still you know resonating of you know this tragedy that occurred and as you mentioned right at the beginning like it wasn't just an earthquake it was you know an earthquake a tsunami a nuclear fallout you know there was so much that happened there um so i think that you know, it, it's difficult for us to to realize again the just the gravity of everything that happened um, when it took place. Um, you know, it was 2011, so I think I was probably a senior um, advisor um, at the uh, anime club, which is the genesis of this uh, podcast in some ways, Yama. And I remember which we mentioned
0: that- last week. Yeah, don't worry yeah. about that. Don't <laughs> worry. We, we mentioned it last week, and- uh, James and
4: I and And I think that there was you know a discussion there like do we do we try to raise money like what what do we do um you know should this be left to the you know japanese language uh club at at the university you know we're the the nerd club what should we do um and you know I, to be honest, I don't remember what the what the choice or what the um what our our answer to that was, but it it was this. very weird thing to watch from so far away and this would have also been um, you know several months to a year before I I went off to um, live in Costa Rica which very quickly led to me living in Japan for a year and to be honest like that wasn't a huge like it didn't really factor in by that point so by 2012 um despite the you know the the length of this tragedy i think maybe i had a couple thoughts or a few you know friends shared concern about you know radiation and that but you know it it my my love and interest for the you know country and and culture and the potential of of living and learning and working there it's you know it wasn't uh hindered by by the disaster and throughout all these stories i'm sure we've all seen the country of Japan and the people, you know, show incredible strength and perseverance as well.
0: I give them credit, actually.
2: Yeah, it's like I was thinking, Jeff, on some of the thoughts you said there, and I think my brother, Matthew, went on vacation with a few people after that, like a year after in that, and people were still worried about going to Japan, and people were gracious that they were there to visit them. Like, I know the one traditional inn and and I think it was a traditional inn and hot springs and stuff like that but I can't remember if it was on their journey to Osaka and stuff like that but they were basically the only people there and they were treated like kings and people were just so (laughs) gracious that they were willing to come to Japan and be there and learn and be respectful and stuff like that because it it really was affecting them and stuff like that and then the other thing as we say as well is that this event like it was the earthquake as we said the uh, tsunami and then the nuclear disaster like for all those three to happen is just incredible in its own but mother nature can take us on at any time it's like and we're never going to win and that's something we all should take a lesson from especially the tsunami and the earthquake because japan we know how prepared they are for those type of disasters and you know what, we'll never be the best, but we'll try our best. And the West Coast definitely needs to learn from that. California is okay, but definitely Oregon, Washington, Alaska, and obviously BC need to look up because they've always been talking about the big one, right? Yeah. And it might not happen in our lifetime. It might happen tomorrow, but we're not as prepared as we think. We're definitely not as prepared as Japan, <laughs> Japan was. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. it's something we seriously have to think about because we look at all those lives lost and that was them being prepared. Just imagine for us how hard it would hit us and we won't be able to save everyone, but every life counts. Right. And I hope we always le- learn from these type of events.
0: Well, further to your point, James, though, no matter how hard, you try to be prepared no matter how much you think you're prepared there's always going to be a shortcoming when these things happen and we always have to re-examine that regardless as i said something
2: continuous process yeah. right yeah, as yeah I said, it's, it's, it's never, never going it to be perfect but it's something we always got to think about
0: well mm-hmm. just look at how our country handled
1: COVID 19.
0: exactly that's where we are now it,
2: I
1: just feel like,
0: I just feel like,
1: as a society and as a nation, the people who see these possible risks are never the ones who can ultimately make the big decisions. Call me
3: jaded Mm -hmm. if you wish, but...
2: They don't want to spend the money or something like that, or they spend Mm -hmm. it in a way that doesn't actually have tangible benefit and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that's a fair point. And then the problem is, once something does hit, then they ask the questions, and it's like, well, where were some of you people before, right?
4: And I think there's there's also, unfortunately, like, and I hate to, to sort of bring this up, but I think that part of it with both um, the the earthquake and with, with COVID, there's no human enemy to fight. So, you know, especially the, the states, but, you know, the rest of the world as well, um, there's not that kind of, you know, very fast action and, you know, desperation that you'd see in, in wartime or after a terrorist attack. Um, it's, this, like, oh, it's, it's just nature or, oh, it's just, you know, a virus. It's, uh, it's kind of sad, but, you know, if you look at the, the devastation, you know, I natural mean, causes can cause.
5: I mean, but it could be right. I mean, if a nation is hit with something so horrific, depends on how quick the nation can bounce back from it. Right. I mean, look at how fast China bounced back from COVID. Right. I mean, preparedness is one thing, but afterthought and organization and just being a more capable nation is more important, right? And
2: remember, though, as we say, right, Mo, it's like we live in a democracy and then they, of course, live in a very different system, right? Like, if you have a strong man leading your country, obviously you're going to have a more singular focus than for us.
1: And if you, you know, don't take human rights into consideration as often.
2: And you look at as you say, that you look at uh, the numbers and stuff and you're willing to accept certain deaths and certain things, right, that we will not accept and we won't give up on. straight. And even though, as we said, we're imperfect and it's an imperfect system, we do try our best and democracy has always evolved and hopefully we can get better, right? It takes all of us. We can't yeah, just jump problem. out of the boat, right? Because if we jump out of the boat, who's going to help us row this boat?
1: I I know people who complain about civic matters and then I ask if they vote and they tell me no and then I say well you have no right to complain
5: but I mean voting doesn't really do anything come on guys
0: (laughs) well at least add your name to the Uh... pile and don't forget and do not forget the winner and still champions and always champions. Science and Mother Nature. No! <laughs> <laughs> but uh...
3: and Go ahead, Jeff.
4: <laughs> I was just gonna say, like speaking like just with the the Mother Nature thing and, and earlier in this discussion, um, you know, you mentioned about, you know, the fact that I think it was James that, you know, this could happen at any time. Like this this, you know, it could happen. Tomorrow, it could happen 500 years from now. And, you know, where where I was living in Japan, um, Kagoshima, um, there is a giant volcano there that erupted 800 times a year, uh, just the, the ash, but, you know, it it's due for another huge explosion. The island the volcano is on is created the last time the volcano erupted. Um, and it's this weird, you know, trade off there where it's, it's one of the lowest likelihoods for earthquakes in, in the country and down in the south there. But there's this, you know, potentially devastating super volcano, uh, not maybe a super volcano, but one that could create an island, um, sort of right in the bay there that's the, the symbol of the, the prefecture. So, you know, that was, even though earthquakes were never really on my mind, the idea of preparedness and you know what would happen if the the volcano erupted, you know that was kind of always in the back of my mind because I couldn't really ignore the giant cloud that hovered over the the city every day.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, no, I was just gonna say I was gonna give a final thought since we had many different memorials and different things, and there was one I was watching on YouTube it was from a canadian uh he lives uh, in japan stuff like that and he's a very uh good uh vlogger in japan it's called tokyo lens and so he w- did a video uh in northern japan in a place called uh unasumai and this town and he talked to uh, a high school student an inn owner and then a fisherman and it's like their stories and the inn owner was interesting because she said this year Twenty twenty one, three eleven, after that, she was gonna stop telling her story and stuff like that. Because a lot of these people have been telling their stories for so long. She says, I'm gonna live my life after that. But the story and what he showed, it was just so powerful and stuff like that about them trying to get up this mountain and stuff like that and thinking they're safe and they still have to go more and stuff like that because It was just the tsunami was so large and stuff like that. And then they were worried about even as it receded. But the other thing was they were in a part where it was colder during the night. So some of them, they would go back to the inn and stuff like that and still worry about the tsunami. Because it's like, do we stay outside and we're going to freeze to death? Or do we go Mm. in and worry about the tsunami? And then there was the other thing. They showed what it was before and then what it was after. And they have so many empty plots and a lot of these places and stuff like that because some people obviously have not returned or some people have unfortunately passed on. And it's just like this mishmash, but they've also transferred and learned things because their junior high and their elementary school were closer and it was one of the strongest buildings. It got washed away. So when they rebuilt, they built it higher up the mountain And it's kind of like if this happens again, it's going to be their evacuation center and it's even more fortified and stuff like that. So you can prepare as much as you want. But they've definitely learned lessons and stuff like that. And they talked about the harrowingness and uh, the panic. And the thing that they also said was they had no time to think. They weren't thinking about loved ones, as the one junior high girl said. She was thinking I just want to be alive. I'm hoping to be alive as they're running up these paths and these roadways and stuff like that. And some of it, they did have uh, video footage of people trying to get people saying, you got to get going. you got to get going and worry about the tsunami and stuff like that. Because some people were forgetting that factor. They were worried about the earthquake, right? Because they were Mm -hmm. going to, they were getting out of the buildings. They were going in to the more open ground but some of them were saying we got to get going there's going to be a tsunami and even the fisherman said he knew immediately because all the water in the harbor just receded and then probably 15-20 minutes later the wave comes right
4: and earthquakes and tsunamis are common enough that i'm sure some people you know at that time you know you're not watching the news or looking into the future you no one knew how bad it would be at that point
2: yeah, mm-hmm. and they admitted that as well. They said, until it hits you, you don't realize and stuff like that. But that one was from it's on YouTube, uh, it's uh, Tokyo Lens is the uh channel, and they did uh, a great uh look at that. There's two videos one is looking at uh, those three uh people, and then they have one in depth one with uh, the innkeeper. She uh, that story she's never going to tell again and stuff like that. She said mm-hmm. she's only told for 10 years and now she's going to begin anew and stuff like that. And I think that's what many other people are going to do because you can't just keep on living this over and over. Right.
0: Right. You know, I guess I'll end, end the talk on the earthquake by like you talked about, about the people I'm the only thought that comes to my mind is what I, what we've, Seen since, and not necessarily in terms of consequences. It's just the general feel of something like what you see. I mean, we kind of hit on hit on it in terms of Japan sinks twenty twenty. Although that's a story that from even further back, but it was its timing and the way it would resonate is perfect. I think in the ten years since. And don't get me wrong, I think there's always been a preoccupation with mortality in Japan. And somebody can somebody can um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there's been at least an acknowledgement of mortality there. But in the 10 years since the disaster, there's been a, an increased focus on it. In terms of some of the stuff I've seen, and and when I say that, yeah, I'm kind of saying that in term in, on the guise of somebody who watches NHK World regularly, uh, and take that for with a grain of salt. But I, because of that, I've started to notice all the this talk about Japan's aging society, and how we deal with death and stories about doctors who work in palliative care so and and of course the impending impending disasters that could happen with climate change and all these other little you know end of days type concerns There's just been a bigger focus on all that. And I think it's just given a pause for thought to Japan there as a whole. But as I said, it's through the guise of NHK, and we've had that uh, discussion before. But 10 years on, and uh, that's where we are. The region has been slowly rebuilding mind you it's not without its own hiccups my understanding is a lot of the workers who have been working much of those 10 years at Fukushima Daiichi have grown ill as people might might have expected and there's talk that a lot of them aren't getting the type of support they really need of course In some regions that are rebuilding, one of the feature stories I saw on NHK World during the coverage was of a woman who lost her husband to the tsunami, and she pointed out the exact spot where they found his body, and how she feels now that that exact spot has been rebuilt and and has become a street, and the mixed feelings she has over that. And as I said, this is just one of those times of reflection and what could you do differently now should the next time come. And yeah, and one of the other things, and this is the last thing, on um, services like NHK World, on their app, on, and of course in their programming, you will notice now that you will see alerts whenever earthquakes and tsunami warnings are given. So essentially, essentially, it's, it becomes a version of the uh, emergency alerts that we sometimes see here in Ontario. And I guess those are the key points in, in the lessons. And what can we do in the future? 10 years on, and all you just can do is move forward. OK, moving on. And as I said, this is all reflection. Um. There isn't a, there's another thing we also want to talk about, and this is a, a little closer to home. We also have an update to a story that we mentioned all the way back in the return episodes of this podcast. That story is the Yonge Street van attack, as we like to call it here in Toronto. I think uh, through m- much of the rest of the world, it's just referred to as the Toronto van attack. And the update was a couple weeks ago, a little over a week ago, way back on March 3rd, the perpetrator of that attack was found criminally responsible on all counts when he drove a rented van down a sidewalk on Yonge Street in the north end of Toronto. And he was found guilty on all counts, which is 10 counts of first-degree murder and 16 counts of attempted murder. James and I, I think, hinted uh, hinted we would at least bring it up in this recording. Kevin was with us when we first talked about it, and that was the only time we've talked about it, and, I got, and we did promise that we'd talk about it a little more. When... There was some sort of conclusion to it, and with the guilty verdicts, obviously there is, although, of course, closure to the victims is another story, and we have to acknowledge that. Just the upshot of the uh, case itself, there was no dispute over who the perpetrator was and the fact that he drove the van, but the trial specifically was about was he criminally responsible? Did he know what he was doing? His and mental a key, state. That. Yeah. His, his mental state. A key point or key crux in the defense case was was the use of... What's the... uh Pardon me. Was the, what's the, what's the use the of autism?
2: Yeah. I know they talked about his autism and stuff like that. And there was a lot of debate on that, especially from the the community, the autism community, and how they felt it could damage them and stuff like that. And we've heard that from many different cases where mental state has been put at the key function of that. And as we know, it's like they try to exhaust everything. And some of the defense team, it's like many of these high profiles where we know this is definitely the person that did it they go through the motions and stuff like that also maybe they don't believe that obviously this person is guilty but they're trying to represent their client and make sure they do their job that they're given the fairest legal defense so that nothing slips through and then they're somehow either acquitted or something is overturned or something to that effect you know what i mean this is just dude it's a case of and like it's the, very the tough And all of that too, right? And as we said, it continues on even after the trial and stuff like that. And they've admitted that. They said, we're happy that this verdict has come out and stuff like that. It doesn't bring back our family members if they are deceased. But we're still going to have to live with this and move forward. And they still have to, to an extent. Because remember, in this type of case, what he, um, the verdicts meant is... He's life behind bars, and for us in Canada, that means 25 years, and then he has a chance at parole and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. some people I know have their quibbles about that and stuff like that, but that is how it works here in Canada. There is no death penalty. Yes, a criminal, if they're considered a dangerous offender, like for example, I I don't want to even say names now, but if they're considered a dangerous offender, then Mm -hmm. That 25 years, the parole part is non-negotiable. They don't even get that. They're just in jail for life and stuff like that. But in this case, it seems like it's going to be the standard one, where it's life in prison, 25 years is the first chance he'll probably get a chance at parole, but the likelihood he's going to get that is n- nil, I think. Nil. But mm-hmm. it's still something of a pain point for families too, right? And you yeah. feel that. And There's... it's... And it's that tough thing too, because we're trying to be a just society and no one can ever say what that means. And we've always had that discussion too, over the death penalty way back when, right? And I know they have that in some parts of the States now and other places in the world that still have it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's one of the death penalty is always one of those, you better be sure about using it because there's no walking it back once it is
2: for obvious reasons. And we've seen where it just goes wrong again and again in the States and stuff. People that should not be on death row. And that's Mm -hmm. why I think in my personal opinion, you should not have the death penalty because it's the final straw. It's the final straw. You can't walk it back, as you said. It's like Mm -hmm. That's why I think at the moment, the way our punishments are set to a degree are fine, but we still have to refine it again and again and again. Depending no, on what our crimes and what we consider crimes now and stuff like that, it's just never ending. Well, and-
0: if we if if we resign ourselves to the fact that this is a continuous thing, then we're, I think we're okay. Mm-hmm. That type of stuff. And we, remember, we've had this this discussion on this show before about the death penalty because we brought it up when those thirteen members of Omshin Rikyo were. Given their death death punishments for the sarin gas attacks in the mid nineties,
2: and we know how long that took to do and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, at know. the end of the day, uh, the other thing we can say, and I'm sure the solace some people can take is the justice system functioned as it should, especially under trying times, as we know with COVID nineteen and the restrictions they're under, because yeah, there are no jury trials in this. Puts uh, the jury in trials, just our... for reference. Sorry.
0: This was yeah, and just to the listeners, this was not a jury trial. It was a it judge was, only. It was a judge only, and actually, brought to, uh James already starts to bring up some interesting points because the the verdict was broadcast live on a live YouTube stream, and it since then it it hasn't been made available any further. It was meant to be just a one time thing, and that's via. That's
2: that's based on law and stuff and like that and they, and they mentioned that and stuff like that. when they showed things in the papers and different things like that they did it like they were in the courtroom with the sketches and stuff like that and the Supreme Court mentioned to people again, you cannot restream this you cannot use live things like that is all illegal like it's specific. but mm-hmm. in regards to this, it's incredible to think this YouTube stream for the verdict. 6,000 people turned in and they joked they said 120 courtrooms filled to capacity would be what it would take to do those 6,000 people so 6,000 yeah 6,000 6,000 6,000 people tuned in to that verdict on youtube on the wow. okay that's, that's crazy when you think about it and they talked about of course that The defense team, and I'm sure some other people, they talked about this trial saying it was a six-week judge-alone trial. So now you never know. It could have been judge-alone if we had been pre-COVID times. It could have been um, jury if they find the right jurors and stuff like that. But judge-alone trial, it was six weeks. So it was from uh, in December uh, they finished up with that. And then the other thing was that – the attorneys from both the crown and defense basically they said that um, it was through Zoom that they had people from the media and stuff like that going to watch this trial and stuff like that, and that they only allowed certain people into the actual room itself. So you had the judge, you had the court uh, recorder, you had the attorneys, which is the defense and the um, crown, and then we also had the actual accused themselves. And we had, uh, as I said, court reporter and register. So there weren't that many people. And then anyone else, they were through that Zoom. And somehow, through this high-profile trial, they were able to get everyone basically uh, through it and stuff like that. And then for witnesses, they had them in a separate room spaced on stuff like that. And I'm not sure if they did that through Zoom or if they then brought them over. To that uh, secluded area and stuff like that when it was time for their uh, testimony and stuff like that. But through all the craziness, they somehow got this done in six weeks and they got a trial and an outcome that was expected probably, but that there wasn't anything that says something's wrong. I'm going to appeal it on this, on this yeah. reason and stuff like that, because we've done something wrong. They still managed to get it right. And I think the justice system overall has been able, if they can handle this high profile, they've been able to hopefully handle most of the other cases of just as important throughout this pandemic and stuff like mm-hmm. that for other people. Yeah. And
0: well, when I look back on the trial itself, as I said, I mean, the autism was used as the main defense. And I think people are quite disturbed about it use of that and people wonder about the ramifications and I suppose that's another debate later on. We will put a link up to the CTV report of the guilty verdict. And in it you will see an interview with somebody and this is this is this is probably journalism 101 you're you're going to see here. You're going to see an interview with somebody with with autism. Who unfortunately also lost a friend in the attack. Because for this guy had a this guy had an elementary school classmate who was one of the victims. So as I said, it's that's classic journalism 101, I think, right there. That's okay, a quick tie-in to the subject matter of this show. And and i think of two things one that stretch of young street we've stated before has become a very asian foodie centric area kevin has mentioned as much right
1: yeah i guess you could say that it's mm-hmm. i would say with willowdale and that stretch of young being so diverse you, you just have a lot of different things there uh mm-hmm. I would For say women. it might lean more Asian nowadays because uh you know Young and Finch, that stretch is considered like the the new Koreatown, so to speak, of Toronto.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you you have an influx of uh Chinese people that live there now. So that's why some businesses have opened up to cater to their tastes. Yes. But I, think, I would
0: still say there's a good variety there.
1: Yeah.
4: It's there's a significant is, um, Iranian population as well. Yes. Uh, that that, that's, that's
0: what, uh, that's uh, what came to mind as well. When I uh, remember last seeing the areas too, uh, in a bygone era, I'm afraid. So yeah. And then, that's one point. It is, and coming back to some of the stories that were in Pure Invention, it is home to one of the more, some of the more famous karaoke clubs in the city. Twister, I think, being most, probably the most famous.
4: The uh, the grungy one, A Couple Doors Down, uh, Young Karaoke, if it's still there, was the, uh, one of the main uh, Yama uh, haunts. Um, I do remember that the, as well. Yes. Karaoke events. It has a, I mean, a, a lot of those on that strip have a, a fairly nice selection of um, uh, Japanese songs. Um, of course, because of the the high um, Korean population there, I'd say it, that's the the main cater um, the main clientele. But um, you know, fairly good uh, selection of uh, Japanese and you know English, um, some other language songs as well. So I think that that region you know, was definitely, you know, very well, very known to me before the attack. I worked about 10 minutes drive from there. I currently, and did at the time I live, um, I think I'm technically in in Willowdale. I'm I'm just at, you know, Bayview and Shepherd area. So I'm 20 minute walk away. Uh, So, you know, it, you know, literally hit close to home. Um, uh, Thankfully, I didn't uh, know anyone, any of the victims. But it definitely is a region that I'm I'm very familiar with. You know, I walk, you know, through that area all the time. And it's very surreal, you know, because I have friends there. I live and work. Um, I used to work fairly close. Um, there is a Latin American uh, festival every year pre-COVID um, at that square there. Um, and it's it's so weird to, to walk through this area because um, I, I didn't go I didn't visit there, you know, uh, within a couple of weeks of, of the attack. So, um, I think the the first time I visited, even the the memorial was kind of on its last couple of days. Hmm. And, you know, it's it's such a, you know, it's relatively busy, but not downtown like Toronto busy. Um, so I wouldn't, because I was gonna say it's peaceful, but it's it's not it's not a boisterous area like you'd never expect. I mean, they say this about every tragedy, but you would never expect anything like that to happen there. Um versus like, you know, if I was thinking outside the Eaton Center, yeah, it's a big boisterous area. Something could happen, like, you know, God forbid anything did, but, you know, North Toronto, like it's 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 still so surreal and so weird that that this happened there.
0: Yeah, well, two things there. Remember, there was the Eaton Center shooting, I think, in yeah, 2012, true. I believe. And yeah. remember when we had uh, old Mohammed, Mohammed Abdul Hadi, when he did the show a couple of years ago, he kind of basically voiced what you said, Jeff. Uh, he, and he's been through zones. He's been through war <laughs> zones himself, if you remember if you remember that episode. But he had, he had trouble wrapping his mind around the fact something like that happened and he like he has family there his uh his his sister and mother live in that area now and he had trouble visualizing that such a thing could have happened when he saw the area and frankly so did i it, it, and once again we'll note one more time that young street is it, it's it's not bustling but it's not really quiet either and it's a fascinating street that stretch to me because the sidewalks are so wide and the road is so wide you the there's a interesting coexistence between the pedestrians and the mm-hmm. drivers along That's what street. I
2: was thinking too like it is such, any, such a
0: fascinating stretch for that reason.
2: Of any stretch it's the widest sidewalks and stuff like that because I think I mentioned it last time we talked about this is you have Mel Lassman Square, so you get more pedestrian uh, people that could go along there. And then the sidewalks are just so large going up that part of Yonge. And I remember being in one of the buildings and we'd go home to lunch and go across. So sometimes at certain parts, you have maybe more people on the sidewalks than others. But you could fit a lot more people on there than in downtown Toronto, Yonge Street on those sidewalks, which feel so yeah. small by comparison. Yeah. So it's just, and as you said, it gives it, I guess, that quiet vibe compared to the bustle of downtown. So it's so just hard to imagine, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the sidewalks are wide enough for a van to drive through too, and unfortunately, that's a big part of the story. The other thing that that we can use to that I want to use to tie into the whole things we've talked about in the in past episodes is remember the convicted the um, perpetrator was said to have been active in incel groups and we've had these long discussions but already on this show about message boards and 2chan and 4chan and i guess there's a tie-in there although some of those some of the um some of that is a little blurry to me at at this point but the perpetrator might have been you know at least uh, at least on such boards himself. I mean there there is that community and we had and in the aftermath of this of the attack 3 years ago we had this discussion about that community. A really sad sad discussion but we have to acknowledge uh, acknowledge that sometimes that's a that's there and it's had its fingerprints on on uh, such attacks in recent years. Yeah, there really true. isn't too much else. I don't know. Is there anything else to add? I, I can't say I there isn't too much else to add. That's like,
2: that's the thing that's the saddest, right, Mike? Is like yeah, if, Even if they are in their right mind that these type of communities, they can do good, but they can also be the flip of the coin and influence to do something like this, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the tough thing that I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people fighting to figure out a way To get people on the right tracks, you know what I mean? And keep them from either being influenced or to stop these type of messages from going out. And we've heard about them talking about it in other different instances, whether it be politically or these other hate groups, right? On Facebook, on Twitter, everywhere online. And it feels like a game of whack-a-mole, but we got to find a way.
0: Yeah, well, the whack-a-mole thing is probably apt an apt way to start to end the end our talk on this because we could talk about this on end. We've talked about it before, and maybe that's another like we can revisit take some time to revisit that at some other point and hopefully it won't be when if some something like this happens again right anyway, the judge in this case a, a superior court justice Ann Malloy. In rendering her ruling, she had expressed the hope that media outlets in the future do not mention the perpetrator by name. And to respect her wishes, this show will not mention the perpetrator by name. Now, the article we'll put up will mention the perpetrator's name, but... uh, We made it a point back then not to mention the perpetrator's name, and we will do so now as well. However, to end off this segment, we will mention these names. Unir Najjar, Chulmin Kang, Anne-Marie D'Amico, Dorothy Sewell, Budis Amarasinga, Mary Elizabeth Forsythe, Sohi Chung, Andrea Braden, Geraldine Brady and Ji Hun Kim. These are the 10 victims who lost their lives. And as time goes, these are the names we hope that are remembered when looking back on that tough day in April, in, in April 2018. Okay, let's take the break and lighten it up. When we return, we'll actually start talking about some of the headlines of the last couple weeks, and maybe look, uh, look back and see what the others have to say on 15 years of the anime roundtable. The bullets are coming up next, when we return on the 6Talk Podcast Network. And the Anime Roundtable now continues once again on this Saturday evening, March the 13th, 2021, for episode 37 of the version 2 era. Mike Nicholas, James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohammed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg continuing the conversation with you. In front of a virtual audience, thank you for listening, and online via the 6Talk Podcast Network. Official Podcast Anime North. Once again we're continuing as we begin the bullets. These are little things which may become big things. And we got a lot of time to spare and a lot of bullets in the chamber to mention here. Or maybe before we start. And I guess I guess we do a slight a slight reflection, but maybe more on a happier note. James and I did do a space heater chat to commemorate the 15th anniversary of the first episode of this podcast. I know you guys may have listened to it. I don't know if you've listened to it fully. Do you guys have thoughts? Uh, Mo, Kevin, Jeff, do you guys have thoughts on the 15th anniversary? I listened to it twice. Great. So what, what was your takeaway from it, or your thoughts from it?
1: I felt a little nostalgic listening to it because I started listening to this podcast at around, I want to say, episode 24 or 25 or 26. It was right around the time when Adam made his debut on the show.
3: Oh,
0: great. So
1: hearing those little references to past episodes that you would tell the audience to dig for... I, I thought, oh yeah, I actually know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Adam made his debut, and I think I started uh, my Advil habit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like I, I remember, uh, you know, listening to those every week, and you know, finding it very entertaining because uh, you know Neil and Adam are were a fort. They were a fours. Yeah and like and i truly feel like when cuz i went to some of those later anime north recordings and uh you guys would have a pretty decent crowd and i i feel like it was because of them too and uh another thing that i remember doing uh, around the to- those earlier days was i remember i think i was in grade 12 when i actually Made the trek to York University to <laughs> listen to one of the episodes live, and I remember getting lost at Bethune for a while too. But oh wow! In yeah, the building I,
0: itself, and you just couldn't find us.
1: Took took a little right. while, yeah. <laughs> and remember, this was a, during a time when uh, cell phones were not prevalent either.
0: No, not not the way they are now, at least. Yeah, took a while, but. Like
1: you know, I was just thinking back on like those little things, like my little memories of the podcast, and yeah, it was good to reminisce on that stuff. It really was.
3: Hmm.
1: A lot of good topics, uh, some good debates. Like I think of the I think of the debate <laughs> between Courtney and Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, yeah. yeah cool. It's like it, it, it's amazing. sort of like it's yes or no. Kodomo Gikan, no G-Kan, and in comparison to where we are now with those type of topics and in its depiction in anime, manga, and light novels, it's sort of like going from Elvis swiveling his hips back in the day <laughs> to, God, what, what are we watching on MTV, uh, on something like HBO now? Is that a comparable? I mean, maybe we're talking extremes, but are we along that type of track when we when we look at the evolution of questionable material in our fandom?
1: I think, you know, it's interesting because we've always had questionable material, like from... Like from Angel's Egg to Bible Black to Urotsuki Doji to Iken and School Days. And like, you know, the list goes on and on. But
2: But two of those were hentai that you just mentioned.
1: Yeah,
3: I know. there's
2: have some things now to uh, uh, anime this season that I would say blur the lines. Let's put it that way. Because it definitely feels like there are a few more now that blur the lines. Let's put it that way. Okay.
1: And Bocanopico no Pico and Kiss Sis and yeah and so on and so forth. Like you gotta represent mm-hmm. have all the extremes there.
2: But I wanna say Kiss Sis is a very classic and respectable discotech title that just came out in January. Remember that, Kevin? They the licensed that? I didn't really the OAD, not the T V series, the OAD from two thousand eight. And so there's been oh. jokes there saying who's the one that worked on it was it Justin or was it Brady or who was it because they it's become a joke now. Mhm. So
0: I guess it depends in the eye of the beholder when I make that uh, ask that question I suppose. Because I'm not totally sure. I'm not totally sure if where the where things have changed in that sense or maybe just greater awareness I suppose.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and I think the only thing that really has changed in that time frame is the way fandom interacts and pointed and pointed out more for better or worse of course
1: I also okay. remember going to those enemy north tapings too and
0: wow double dose Advil for me
5: <laughs> <laughs> which one were you we at Kevin sorry which one are we at uh I, I feel like
1: i went to i was there for episode
0: 50 and Wait, did we dress up for, which, which episode did we did we dress up for uh, i think it was 50 the suits was only was 50. 50 right was, I, I, I don't remember, I don't that, remember that, when man. the suits i don't remember when we did the suits episode but i i i, I, I really could not
4: remember that
2: was a magical night I think, like, I, I think I I think I took
4: we're... photos of that night. It was it was so yeah.
2: There must have been photos of us in the suits, wasn't there? Yeah,
4: there's, there's an
0: old was... photo. There's an old photo of us in the suits. I don't think I have it, but I know Mo did. And I, I
1: honestly don't own.
5: have it
0: anymore. I remember
1: see, that I had to leave. Like, I think I had to leave at some point at like one or one fifteen. I really <laughs> didn't want to leave. Like, I was having <laughs> so, like, so much fun in the audience. Like. I met I met people in the audience, and we were just like we were complete strangers, and we were just like you know started chatting and just having a great time.
0: Uh the power of Neil and Adam, I suppose. Dynamic so, duo. Um, Mo, Gre- uh, Mo, Jeff, do you have a thought on the fifteenth? Uh, congrats on fifteen. Here's fifteen more. Well, or like fifteen straight on through, more like it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, I, I think on on my end, I think it's interesting because. You know, the, in the early episodes, you know, you would at least, uh, I'd say, often refer to the audience, and I always kind of considered Kevin and myself the audience, so it's weird that 40% of the cast is the former audience that was often talked about, <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, as far as uh, specific memories, um, I think the, the first time I was kind of invited uh, up as um, to to share my opinions, it was an episode with Adam there, and of course, you know, I was first or second year university student. I was nervous; it was my first time being recorded in, in such a way. But I distinctly remember Adam dissing '90s animation, and that pretty much igniting me because he was saying, "Oh, all '90s cartoons were garbage," and you know, I, I it's the generational gap, and you know, I'm thinking now it's like, oh, did he really think that? before eras were that great um i
1: remember
4: remember bringing up like really pinky and the brain and animaniacs and batman and gargoyles were garbage like uh it was it was i think it was significant because it was you know the first time that like i was confident enough to you know argue my points against someone who was you know a senior or a senpai uh to use japanese terminology (laughs)
0: keep in mind i I was into thundercats back in the day <laughs> oh wow and and i guess uh transformers in, in many respects and as, as well we
2: said many of ours uh, as it went on they weren't there to just sell the toys as they say right
0: no that's well yeah we've had that you know we've talked about that at length ad nauseum
2: actually it was funny like just to end off the point on the 15 years and that i thought about it again midweek because I was listening uh, to Bob McCowan's podcast and he had on uh, George Strompolopoulos, So Strombo. Mm. And that was a very interesting episode and stuff like that. And Strombo even, was an
0: intern with him at the time.
2: Correct. Like in and the early nineties. So and so they were talking about Strombo being uh, on hockey night in Canada and how it all played out, which he said it played out like he figured it would and stuff like that. And, they had these different conversations, but there wasn't as much Bob McCown. Bob McCown basically let Strombo speak and stuff like that. And some people mentioned that in the comments and it brought it back to our show and how you said you wanted to make it feel like um, primetime sports and stuff like that. And it was about, as we said, the conversations and stuff like that. And even Strombo in the interview, if you want to call it that, or the conversation of that podcast talked about the same thing, saying that, Bob McCowan said, "I'm not bringing on the sports players and stuff like that. They have nothing to provide. They have nothing to talk about and stuff like that."
0: And mm-hmm. so, I think what's noteworthy here, and I guess this is a, this is like sports talk Canada, but a very Canadian thing to talk about. George Rombolos, since he was fired as host of Hockey Night in Canada and replaced by back with Ron McLean, he hasn't spoken too much publicly about that
2: experience. So that would be an interesting listen. So this is one of the first times. Yeah, I think he's talked about like he talked about how there was once Rogers got hockey night in Canada and stuff like that, the Reds and all that. It was kind of like this hush hush dealings between him and himself mm-hmm. and them. And then he said, Keith Pelle, who is no longer with Rogers, had his back and stuff like that. But when they did this, they're like, yeah, George, we're going to do this. We're going to do a 180. We're going to make it more modern, stuff like that, with Hockey Night in Canada, all this stuff. And he's like, are you guys sure you want to go this, like, fully go on? Because he was prepared to take it that way. But he said he had the idea of Ron McLean. He said, we got to keep Ron McLean, and he should do the first game, and then I'll do the second game of the doubleheader, and we'll just gradually do it and stuff like that, and we'll get things going. But he also had some Hmm. interesting things saying, Demographics-wise, he was helping them get younger demographics into hockey Night in Canada. He was helping them get female, more female, and more younger people in there that just were not there before, as he said. And yeah. the other thing of that, he but, just knew he. The funny thing is, he said he lasted longer than he thought he was gonna last because yeah, he he, lasted, he was gonna he get canned la- at some point. And he, yeah, when he, and he was lasted. about to get canned, he knew he was gonna get canned, and him and his team like were prepared for that. And he's like, well. That's how life goes. And he talked about the business and said, you can't last forever and stuff like that. And he said that they've reverted back a bit, but he said they really need to change and stuff like that. And he said it hit home really with um, the George Floyd. And he said, a lot of the athletes were doing a better job talking about this point in time than the sports broadcasters and all these people that just, they felt like they were just out of place and out of touch.
0: Yeah, that's were... yeah i know where you're oh. going i think i know where you're going it's it, it's weird and for reference Stro- stromboopolis was kicked off or was let go two years in two years in and so that we're talking about four or five years ago now
3: and he and... thought he was
2: going to be a year and a half he said he figured mm-hmm. it was a year and a half oh, and then they no, wouldn't be well, able to do it because he thought the change would be just too much and that I guess even though they're a small piece of the pie, they're a vo- very vocal piece of the pie that I guess yeah, watched it's
0: it, it was the realization that Hockey Night something like Hockey Night in Canada is very old boys' club and very stodgy and conservative in its own way.
2: And they right? talked about that too. And the other crazy thing is mm. he said some people in the NHL, some players came up to him and said Hockey Night in Canada was a racist broadcast. Now that's all he said, but who knows what? where they were going but maybe we could think of where they were going on certain aspects of that
0: Kevin do you have a last thought
1: oh I was just thinking you can see how out of touch they are just because most of these broadcasters are older male and Caucasian so you're they wouldn't they wouldn't have been as exposed to that kind of stuff, or maybe they would have been not as cognizant of these issues. Like, cause if you don't deal with those issues yourself, like how can you expect to relate to it? I guess that's, or maybe that's not fair to say, but let's just say when, when I hear those complaints that they feel out of touch, I just am not surprised at all.
5: Mo. well, I mean, I don't know. It's I feel like it's it's one of those things where like everyone kind of just knows, like it's just agreed upon that that's just the way it is because it's been around for so long, and the people running it uh, are of a certain <clears> or <throat> of a certain age. It, it it reminds me of the whole like uh, uh, Royals interview from last week, right? Everyone being oh. shocked that the the family's uh, <laughs> a, a dynasty that old may or may not be racist, right? I mean, it's like. Eh, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, I guess.
3: Uh,
2: but there are certain things. There are said. certain things that were funny, like even at the end of the interview, George uh He had one line where he said he was at Burning Man. Of course, we know he's from much music. He loves music and stuff like that. He's he, he, he does. Host I think. Spen, I
0: don't know. I think he may actually live in the states these days too.
2: Yes. So I'll tell you about that in a bit. But Burning I mean, Man a... for that. He was there, 3 a.m. at a rave, and he's just partying out. And then he said a kid, and he said, well, that means the guys in his 20s or whatever, just turned and said, Strombo? What are you doing here? And so he's like, (laughs) and then he turns to him and says, hey, it's the host of Hockey United Canada. And he said he just was laughing. But the other thing on him, on Strombo being in the States, so now he's doing something with Apple TV, I believe. Um, But he splits his time basically between Toronto and L.A. And at the moment he was uh, doing the podcast with um, Bob, he was actually in LA and he joked about that. He said, well, I had to get to LA because I had to talk to the Apple people. I had to do these other things. So he had his studio at his home in LA and he was able to do things from there better than from Toronto. So he went in this pickup truck and drove across the border and they were like, what the hell are you doing? You could have flown. And this was like a few months ago. He's like, no, I need the truck. They just let him through and stuff like that. And so I think they joked, are you oh. going to come back to Canada? And he said, well, I can't really do that right now. My social media people would kill me with probably all the bad coverage about him having to go through quarantine hotel and all this stuff. I think Bob McCown said, are you going to pay the tax? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: to get back into Canada or something like yeah, that. But I think he's staying stuff. in L.A. till everything cools off. But I, I don't hold that against him or anything like that, even though he's, I think he's still all in. Yeah, he's, stuff
0: like that. he's fascinating to me. I mean, he's the like he's the epitome. He and maybe somebody like Keith Oberman, they are the epitome of like people who can talk about many different disciplines. In the case of Stor- uh, Strombo, it's it, it was sports, but certainly music. In the case of oberman it would be it'll be sports for sure, politics in the latter parts of his career. And I'd,
2: say, and I'd say Strombo, he's. Gotten better at that, like when he went to the c b c and did his show there, as he said that grew him as a host and stuff in like terms that of interviewing all interest. those different yeah. people from Prince Charles to many other people in the political sphere and other spheres
0: mhm true and well, as I said, he's a fascinating fascinating uh guy, and um certainly we should put that up, and I guess we'll end end off the thoughts on fifteen years. For us, as it relates, it's worth noting again. Remember, this podcast was based on the intelligence of sports talk radio because I know sports talk radio these days can be a lot of people screaming at each other, but I want really wanted to dial it back to the, some of the more intellectual parts of sports talk, which sometimes is lost. and And I think... In recent years, sports talk has evolved as well, and sometimes, and sometimes kicking and screaming. Remember, we're at a slight crossroads here in terms of sports talk broadcasting on a national basis in Canada, with the with the breakups of two very noteworthy pairs in in the genre, in Jay and Dan on TSN, and formerly of FS One, and Tim and Sid, which went through changes as well with uh, Sid going more mainstream with uh, doing breakfast television in recently. And they tried to go a bit younger to more younger demographics. And I know Tim and Sid had its younger fan base, but it really, they really didn't have it in older demographics as far as I could tell, but we'll see if the, but I'm not totally sure the old, that older demographic that Bob McCowan appealed to follows him onto podcast these days. That's the interesting little to and fro between that all, and um, but as I said, uh, Tim, uh, shows like Tim and Sid, like well, t- more in more recent times, like Tim and Sid, and of course, primetime sports and sports reporters from the ESPN or TSN versions. Those were the inspirations for this show, and those are somewhat bygone. And or either have or have evolved and had to change. And here we are still. And we try over the past 15 years. And then in the recent and then the three years since we returned, it's still, I think, has had trouble finding its legs, especially in those initial 18 or so episodes of version two. And I think it's closer now to the way it was. I think at its peak in version one, when we're with these current versions of the bi-weekly episodes and the way we give ourselves time to research it and try and understand things a little bit better and watch things and read up on all this stuff. And hopefully that's my fear is as the pandemic hopefully winds down, that my fear is where once again, what will become of this podcast will we we be able to do it like this again to this type of quality. Well, online, yes. Or in person, I think we had that conversation briefly just before we continued recording. And I guess we'll all meet up again and we'll worry about it when that time comes. Right. And one last thing. And as I said, I will try and watch that episode of the Bob McCowan podcast.
2: I posted it down below. Uh, yeah, just to well, you know. So,
0: and it's on YouTube. It's on po- uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And I will say, just to end off this thought, has an awesome theme song as well. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> familiar. Yeah, and a familiar sounding theme song. When you, if you ever, if you know what I mean, just click on the links. Okay, now we can officially start. Well, we went a while on that. We, we can officially <laughs> start the bullets. These Sorry, are.
2: Sorry uh, well, for that thought, there, Mike. It's just something that came back to me, and that's why I brought it. No, up. it's great. It's great. It's fine. But let's
0: uh, let's officially start the bullets, and we'll reintroduce it with the other introduction I use for the bullets, so which is what what was this
2: podcast again about, Mike? Yeah, anime. Anime? Okay, we're talking yeah, so about well, anime. Actually,
0: let's 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 really go into the anime stuff again, and. As we start the bullet segment, which are presented in point form but could become full essays. There you go. I went with the other introduction. Well, you mentioned Discotech a couple minutes ago. I don't know how many minutes ago, but you did mention Discotech, James, and Discotech did it again. They had another online presentation on twitch and yeah, had maybe. a few things to announce uh, let's keep it quick because
2: we've already used up 23 minutes we did the- we did talk about it uh, before saying yeah they are going to do another one and this one was going to be a smaller one and they joked about that and their smaller one they joked as they ended they said holy smokes it's almost two hours so their question portion went longer than they thought i think they ended up talking about mike tool and home ownership talk oh, about yeah, about some <laughs> other it, it, well, this sounds like this sounds
1: like a regular episode of this
2: podcast. One. Then, awesome.
1: oh, yeah, I, missed, I missed it. so I kind of there were some great I things I missed.
2: No, the question and answers were just uh, interesting. It's like they were talking about Canadian distribution, which was the same answer we had from before, and that is the owners are working on it. The other thing in the question and answer is that some things they can't answer, so sometimes people don't realize. They keep on asking about things that. They have no relation to it's like one of their partners. So like TMS, for example, because people were asking about Lupin the third part uh, five and, and the Lupin and Detective Conan uh, special or it was the movie because supposedly TMS was leaking that they were dubbing that. And so they were asking about that to Discotech, and they can't answer that because, yes, they might do it at some point later on. But that's all on TMS at the moment. So until they cross that bridge and they can actually seal the deal, they pro- won't be able to talk about. It. But it, it feels like people think, oh, they already have it, but they don't really already have it. Which is funny seeing it again and again. Mm. But uh, they they don't specifically call out because, as they said in their thing, they said we won't be answering anything about prospective licenses mm. and stuff like that. So it's just all silence but of course that just ignites the stream uh with the questions doesn't it
0: never really well just like everything else uh, no matter how much you try and put a lid on it 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 leaks or just boils boils but, over anyway
2: but we'll talk about now it's like the licenses they did announce and then the big one that they talked about which was the big one they were teasing so the licenses were they started off with dear brother and this one's oh, big yeah. because of Because from the creator of uh, *Rosa Versailles and that. And the funny thing about this one is I keep forgetting the anime was actually done early 90s. So it was like 91, 92 and around there, even though the manga is from the 70s. And it still looks like that. So it's just funny watching that. But for that one, just to let people know, and they made a point of it, it's going to be coming out this summer. But it's going to be a very short window for the license, like maybe two years. So if you want it, you better get it. They said. So that was a warning on that one. And uh, if you're a fan of Rosa Versailles, then yeah, you may you might want this in your collection. I know some people that got it through Anime Souls, and they love it, even though that was bare bones. And I'm sure Discotech is going to put the love and care in this one too.
0: Talking with some of our longtime listeners, Squirrely already said they've contacted Angela on this one. I think we I think that. I think we've given away uh, a bit of Squirrely's
2: idea on that. Yeah, like, now, this one's the interesting one. Now, we got great sets for Rosa I from Right Stuff. Now, for the anime souls, if we put money in, even though they were bare bones, we love the sets. You can watch Dear Brother if you want to get a check on it on Retro Crush, just to let you know. But... For this, it's going to be the best it can be. And I think it's worth the double dip if you already have the anime Souls release, but it'll be worth something to peek at, especially if you've watched in like Rose of Versailles. So we'll leave like that all, be.
1: Like all 500 people who own that show.
0: <laughs> well, he, once again, it comes down to yes, there are diehards and we'll own something a couple times over.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think I'll buy this one because I've seen several clips. Of the show, uh, people like I feel like Retro Crush has done a good job of like taking certain clips and putting them on Facebook, so you people and then those get shared on social media because some of these clips are like so melodramatic that it's it's just hilariously awesome.
2: And (laughs) they've done a lot of their animes and stuff like that through different social medias, and it's been fantastic.
1: Okay. Like this one clip of like this one accusation of this girl in this classroom. I I wish I knew who the characters were, but that alone sold me on the show. I'm like, yes, this is the, this is like the old school shoujo melodrama that is missing in my life.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay, James. uh, Well, as I said, I missed the um, presentation myself. And once again, just to double down on this sentiment You're also listening to hear some of the banter that goes on between Mike, Justin, and Brady.
2: Yeah, and that's what a lot of it it, we were talking about beforehand, and there were some great things uh, talked about. They talked about more Lupin, of course, is uh, coming down the pipe and stuff like that. They talked about uh, Memories. It now has a release date. It's going to release in June, and they put the Spin Polish, and they were talking what's going into it on the disc. It's going to be a plethora. Of extras like Justin <clears throat> worked really hard on this and probably took some people down with him as well. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, they joke. They say sometimes it's another team member taking in the other team members down on their project. So he said, "Yeah, I'll do it for this one." So, <laughs> <Nice> <laughs> but work, they, guys. they 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 love each other. But the other licenses they talked about quartering the market on cat anime because they had two licenses on that Nyanbo and they also had. Uh, michi neko and those ones uh i don't know much about but they are involving cats now (laughs) the other ones uh, they had uh, a streaming only license they announced uh kekakashi and Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be there they didn't say anything on the tail series even though those are streaming on crunchyroll and they have the license to them they have announced though that what was it, Sayuki, the two seasons that Genion had, they're streaming those, and those are for streaming only. The other thing they had uh, that was on Crunchyroll they're going to release, physically, they said, Magical Girl, Oric. Oh, God. Yeah, (laughs) that's something. And then they had a license rescue from uh, Media Blasters. They're going to bring Kashimashi Girl Meets Girl back onto uh, Blu-ray, and that's going to come out uh, in May. And that one was one. I enjoyed that was one of the various uh, Yuri animes that media blasters uh, brought out uh, in the late aughts and stuff like that. And I think it was an enjoyable one of, one of many they brought. And then finally, I guess we can't forget the big one. Well, it's another big one they had. We'll talk about the big one after this, but Sergeant frog, they said the whole kitten caboodle, of Fra- Sergeant frog. Yeah. They're going to bring it out on SD blu-ray and, uh, We'll see how it goes. I don't think we're going to see that ADE Films uh, dub. We're probably going to see the Funimation dubs for however many episodes they did, but they are going to get all 358 episodes over a certain amount of discs because, uh, God forbid, they wouldn't be able to do it in one or two sets. So and that will be means, over the
4: next two years. So that means just at some point the dub will just end then? Yes. Correct. Just kind of like okay. Kodacha. Like yeah, Kodacha. Oh, That's all yeah, I code
0: when that comes up. Any other thoughts?
2: And then, uh, so the big one. Yeah, this they is the big on, one. They kept, on t- they kept on talking about the big one, and this wasn't a license announcement. It was actually an update on Project ACO, and they had good banter on this because they said, well, we're going to stop the restoration and remaster of ACO. So why would they do that? I don't know <laughs> I why know they would do that. Maybe they just don't care about ACO anymore and they just want to get rid yeah, of it, right? right? Well, actually, they said, and this was their big announcement, it's going to take longer to come out because they found the original film, the original 35 millimeter film, and they're going to take that, and that's going to be used as the base, and they were showing uh, it first, what they did, and it looks fantastic, so they're going to use that as the base. Yes, they spent a lot of money to try and do the thing with the Doomsday device and all this other stuff, but... It's better just to go with that thirty-five millimeter film and use that, and then make it the best it can be. And hey, shit happens, as they say, right? well no,
0: that's a fa- that's a fascinating point. It's thanks to uh, thanks to Robert Woodhead of Animigo.
1: Yeah,
2: I was gonna say Bob Woodhead did some great things on this. He said that uh, another person tipped them off. Well, they tipped him off because he's doing uh, another uh, Kickstarter coming up they have a preview of it now, Maddox 01. And supposedly for that one, he thought that was lost. And then they tipped him off and they said, oh, it's somewhere else within the company that held it. And then they were able to find it. And then the same thing, he kind of, I guess, said, maybe it's the same for ACO, And he passed that information on to Discotech that maybe they're looking in the wrong place. Maybe it's on the wrong sheet of paper, like a clerical error or something like that. And they found it somewhere else and it was all as it should be. So it's weird how those things can happen. Just a small mistake or a small misfiling can lead to sign just being collecting dust. Right. Until you finally get there. It's,
0: it's almost like you can just add that to the pile of all those odd little stories that go along with the production of, anything discotheque does like this is the most fa- probably the single most fascinating story background story that you're going to hear
2: and as they said they had a lot of uh no bob uh robert wood had had some great tweets after it. it was just kind of some banter back and forth one person thought the first one was a little off but they said no this you, this was bob just having some good thing because no, it was kind of, the thing of him finding maddox then him finding Aiko, then him saying Oh, they spent all this money and stuff like that on this, even though they didn't have to. And so it was just absolutely funny, but it was all in well, good jest. You
0: know, it's that's sort of that's sort of Robert Woodhead in, in a nutshell, actually. He's he has that sarcastic way of expressing himself.
2: And they have that too for Justin Brady and all of them. And they were joking about too that they're they've been there. he's been beneficial to them in other ways, but they themselves, as Bob has said, and they have said, too, that they have been beneficial to him for some of his um, anime projects mm. to help him find materials. So it's been a thing that's gone both ways and them bring back some of his old favorites like uh, Orange Road and about bringing back some of those Lupin uh, ones that he had. So he is happy. That they're able to see the light of day, and he's more than happy, as he said, to help them either find those old dubs or find things that he has to help them out, and the road goes both ways. So
0: I'm not going and to you... say Yawara. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay. That thought
1: On crossed day my mind too, Mike.
0: <laughs> you knew I'd, you, what, that I'd say it, or just generally speaking?
1: That you would say it, because Anamigo uh, never did finish their Yawara release
2: back in the day.
0: Not that I'm bitter. Um, sorry, I, I broke your train of thought, uh, James.
2: No, I was just thinking that it's nice to actually see that, isn't it? Because that doesn't always happen to be the case where sharing is caring, right? Oh yeah, they oh, might yeah. ask for a big chunk of change, or they just might be unwilling for whatever reason to let something see the light of day again, right? So
3: maybe mm-hmm. Evangelion dub.
0: Oh, ouch! That's a good one. So what is it again? I like you. I love you. I love you, Zebra, again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so are okay. we getting ready to watch that final Ava movie like on a camcorder uh, footage, I guess?
1: No, but we could be fined millions of dollars. Or no, that's if you distribute it illegally. That was the threat that Kara put out earlier this week, now that I think about it.
0: Yeah, I, I, would, say, I would say Demon Slayer is probably the bigger risk.
1: Oh, uh, one thing I wanted to say that interested me about Kashimashi is that they, they're they going to update the subtitle track and that they intend to be more careful with uh, gender and pronouns. So that's a nice little touch, gotta say. Uh, i got to say. I also watched that show back in the day and I loved it.
3: Mm,
0: that'll be interesting then,
1: uh, considering
2: would, the climate we're in. And I would say too, they always go through their subtitles and give it a good fresh eyes and stuff like that. Because I saw, for example, um, I forget which one I was watching, uh, Therme Romai, actually, I was watching recently, and the base translation was from Siren Visual from Australia. But then they had, I think it was uh, one of their people just over, gave it a fresh eyes just to make sure everything was good, correct, and just do some editing and stuff like that. And they always do that, which is nice, you know what I mean, to make sure it's up to snuff. So they do that for every series, which is great
3: hmm,
0: okay, I don't know what else I really add to this. It's as I said, discotech kind of did it again, although once again, I'll say I love you, zebra
1: also kakaishi is a good show, and people should watch it criminally underrated
3: <laughs>
1: manga and anime. anime i've I've read I mean. the entire manga it's fantastic
3: hmm.
0: okay, so let's uh well let's move on then, okay. I think we talked enough discotheque and plenty of uh, always plenty of discussion whenever they do something. James, this is this is your caller. Um ICV2, you sent us a couple of interesting little interviews. Uh Early March, they had a they had a mongo week, they called it.
2: And I think uh, Kevin actually talked about this one, too, I think as well, because he was taking a look at some of those articles, too, wasn't he? Yeah, I was.
1: Uh Oh, I just mentioned it. And then I think but you supplied the links, I think, is what what that ha-
0: was what happened. Uh- yeah. so thanks, both of you. <laughs> because um I took a read of them. So three three little interviews that ICV2 did, and I there's probably more because this was part of their Mongo week series, but these ones were interesting regardless. Kevin Hamrick, Viz Media's vice president of publishing sales, Yen Press Publisher. Kurt Hassler and the one and only for better or worse <laughs> Stu Levy of Tokyo Pop fame. They all had their takes on where they stood in during Mongo Week and the interviews were wide ranging in terms of Hamrick and uh, Hassler. They talked more about their, their respective companies and how they're doing and how they're coping. But Stu Levy's was probably the most interesting and as expected to be where where, where do we go where which way uh, do you want to go with uh talking about this where do you want to start
1: let's start with the big boy oh boy oh you want to
2: start with the dj milky himself
1: no you know who i meant I meant Viz Media.
2: Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> what do you mean the <laughs> one that Stu Levy said he didn't mention by name, but basically said owns fifty percent of the market and he respects them because they worked for it.
1: <laughs> it's it's funny. funny it's funny because uh Viz was originally more affiliated with Shogakucon, like and it was like the early two thousands is when uh Shueisha put their stake into it, and... and
2: that's when it sent them into overdrive. It feels like almost, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's sort of where we are now,
0: really. And obviously, they're happy with how things have gone. Obviously, uh, for there's a for better or worse scenario when it comes to how the pandemic has affected them, and they're they're like generally speaking, they're happy about it. Um, they, they went through all their ti- all their titles and. They they know they acknowledge little bumps in interest in in titles after their anime counterparts became hits. They acknowledge a bump in older issues, back issues. I think backlist they call them.
1: Yes, yeah, backlist becoming more
0: of a thing for them right now.
1: There has been uh, there been several volumes of stuff that have been out of print. Like I know. Like several volumes of Kami-sama Kiss uh, from their Shoujo Beat line were out of stock for a while. Those are, I think, those are, the plan is to reprint those. Uh, Recently uh, on the Shoujo Beat feed, they announced Nana Volumes 1 and 2 will be reprinted at some point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes you wonder whether or not that was doing well as of late because, you know, the Nana craze has, you know, long petered out. Um, Certain volume, like think even Chainsaw Man, you can't find volume two right now it's out of stock. Uh, it happened with Jujutsu Kaisen as well. Like, yeah, people, yeah, I've, that article mentioned how, like, they're there seeing an uptick of, like, volume twos, volume threes, volume fours being sold. So you have people are actually, you know, going a little deeper into their purchases.
2: And they were talking about, I guess the fact for them, I know the others were saying that they didn't see the uptick till uh, quarter four, but Viz seemed to see it a little earlier. And probably that's due to their stronger shown in line and stuff like that. But the other thing was the online sales they said were very strong and were triple digit increases. And that was even backing out Amazon because all of them were talking about how Amazon is now the big boy that they deal with and helps them make some decisions and stuff like that. But for Viz, they said that isn't just Amazon. They were talking about Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Right Stuff, Indigo, and even mainstream like Target and Walmart being uh, big factors for them and stuff like that on the online front. And then I think Stu Levy pointed out that that is at the detriment of some of the small people like the comic book stores and the smaller uh, indie shops and stuff like that. And some of them relied on Diamond and had to scramble to find other sources when Diamond shut down for a bit and stuff like that, and when they had shutdowns, right? Because they couldn't just open, and not all of them could do curbside pickup and stuff like that. Yeah, it's...
0: I want to come back to the uh, one last Viz thought a bit later, but yeah, now that we're on Stu Levy, and nice transition, by the way, James. He, like, Stu's Stu's was quite the the most interesting, because you know, he, like, there was that point. Remember, Tokyo Pop was the name at the time. They were the big boy when it came to manga. And... They, they were, yeah.
1: You could say, like, I think, at one point in the early, to mid-2000s, they were bigger than Viz.
0: Because mm-hmm. they were scooping them all even up. Even when
1: you factor in Shonen Jump, launching around that time, they just had, they, they were definitely riding that wave. Because, you know, as some people may or may not remember, they were the ones that forced the industry's hand in unflipping manga.
0: Well, yeah, we've had the, We've had this talk before about that. Mm-hmm. As
2: Fred Shaw would say, taking uh, the work out of the manga industry, huh? Or the localization? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. they so were
4: fun. they were ambitious as well, right? Like with um, you know, they were much you know, made fun of and mocked, but with the um, American made manga, they were, you know, huge with that. And, you know, you could argue about how successful that risk was. But I think, you know, that's, it's interesting that I think, you know, from the beginning, they've kind of been about, not beginning, but from my Observation and entry point. They've kind of been on. Let's see what happens. This looks cool. Let's try this, which I can yeah. definitely respect. Well,
0: it's in re- in retrospect, maybe uh, though that experimentation is probably what's kept them going to this point. Like, yeah, they yeah after the bottom out and yeah. they had to. You know, <laughs> they, then, then they had to.
2: It. Yeah, it's and as Stu Levy admitted, and I'm seeing this as, a, as a boutique uh, publisher now and stuff like that, and well, they he, talked about. Their line, I guess, uh, what was it, uh, Love, well, Love, or something to, like that, which is stories focused have, on uh, LGBTQ stories and different Yahweh stories and stuff like that that you don't see across the board as much.
0: And then the use of Disney IP. Uh, Correct. here as well? Yeah. So as I said, this is, uh, once again, a for better or worse type scenario. But it was an interesting, like that pivot, I thought, was interesting because – at a, obviously, during the bottom out, they couldn't depend on those on Japanese titles anymore, because then a lot of the original publishers were going other ways. and
2: Or they and had stakes in some of the international publishers.
0: Yes. So that's what you started ha- having. And like Levy's was like so across the board, but so fascinating <laughs> what he said, right? And, and there were the, other
2: things we saw too. Just so to,
0: which one Which one do you want to go with uh, for a second there, James? Just which for a second,
2: just to say uh, that I know Kurt Hassler had the one point, and it was a quote that I think was important and it's still relevant, is that he said, if you have an anime that is successful, it will skyrocket your sales and stuff like that. And they're still seeing that and probably seeing that even more during the pandemic because more people are watching streaming services and stuff like that, different animated shows and want to go back to that original source. So it's definitely affecting maybe some of their back catalog, as they said. Hey, yeah. <laughs> in
0: a good way, in a good way. Right.
1: Oh yeah. yeah like for better or for worse, especially in once the again, case the well, I've yeah, documented means- my, I've documented my struggles of purchasing that m- manga series, but, uh, yeah, Higarashi went massively out of print in the last few months. I do feel like well, even though the anime this this new anime series is uh divisive, it I do feel like it did bring attention to the manga and lots of those volumes are massively out of print now. Hmm. And like people are paying four digits for complete Higarashi sets now. So second should attitude.
2: cash out I should cash out now Kevin is that what you're saying
1: if you're not attached to it yes and we've heard how uh Kurt Hassler is a big fan of those uh seventh expansion Ryukishi of seven titles so yeah a part of me likes to think that he really wants to reprint it but maybe he just can't they just can't justify it from a monetary sense.
2: I know. I, know. I think he. I think it would be the same as well. But <laughs> it was one of those things. Higarashi was the key, and he pushed it through, and they found a way to continue and complete it. And then somehow they decided to do Umineko, and they just power through on that one as well. And a lot of it was through the omnibus format, and the other thing was a little bit of a higher price and stuff like that. But yeah. even at that higher price, it's kind of crazy, as you said, how high it's gotten now, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Well. Okay, so pivot for another second here.
2: So We wanted to go back to Stu Levy and his thoughts.
0: On mean, there's a, yeah, th- th- As I said, that's the one that sticks out. And he... I'm, oh, wait, let's give it a... Well, let's go there. We'll go there in a second, Mo.
5: I mean, I'm just going to say, the whole Stu Levy thing, it's like, you know, uh, rising tide rides all, all ships kind of situation. I mean, yes, manga readership may not be where it's... You know, supposed to be out or whatnot, but you know, more anime watchers equals more manga readers, right?
1: Maybe, yeah, that's, maybe how it, that's how it's become nowadays. Like,
0: yeah, there's. It's a weird. Yeah, that, that's. It's an interesting way to mention it. I mean, there's. You would have assumed we. We obviously there is an overlap between all between anime and manga, and to a lesser degree like novels, because that's you know that that's uh, that was a point brought up by Hassler. But it's not as pronounced or one for one as people may leave may hope it is. At least, certainly, these uh, the companies would be hoping it would be. Um, there is a certain lamenting about, like going back to Stu Levy for a second, because you know who wouldn't. He kind of lamented the lack of digitization in the industry in the um, industry to this point at least in the same way that it's happened in terms of movies and anime.
2: And that's where I think he was talking. And there's some really good points on that fact. And I feel like, I feel like we've talked about it. And when we talk about digitization, stuff like that, we're not talking about the digital copies they're doing now and stuff like that. He is talking about things that we thought were going to happen when Crunchyroll did, um, the thing saying, there with your subscription, you could now read uh, these different manga chapters and stuff like that, unlimited. You know what I mean? Kind of like a streaming for manga type thing, but it never really took off and stuff like that. I mean, he was saying a lot of young people in particular are reading Webtoons and Webtoon type platforms like Tapas, etc. He says, I think that access to content, whether free or for one monthly fee, any example, uh, Kindle Unlimited, things like that those types of business models are the way that a lot of people are now experiencing entertainment and consuming content. And he was talking about how he thinks people are watching anime now outside of Japan through the streaming and stuff like that. Not necessarily the case with manga and that piracy is still a huge issue. And maybe that could cut into it and stuff like that. And he talked about how it's kind of like, they're still selling it on the old model where it's like, Here's your volume one. Hopefully we get enough people and they still stick with us for volume two.
5: Which yep. is which is so outdated. I mean, come on guys. You, okay. you can blame you can blame Japan
2: on that, I feel.
0: Yeah, <sighs> well, let's okay, let's go to that in a couple right? yeah. Yeah. let's go to that in a couple seconds, Jeff.
4: Um yeah, I think that that's what stood out to me with the Levy interview compared to the other two was that this this person seems to be the most like interested in sequential arts and comics and manga as a medium. Um like all all three of them are business people. I I certainly will admit that. But with with Levy's interview there was like this curiosity and excitement about like hey, look, there's this webtoon and and webtoon style you know, comics uh, happening and, you know, what's, what's happening with the digital field and, you know, talking about the, the, um you know, the problems with the comic book stores, like he seemed invested in comics as, as a literature and an art form. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, this is facetious and, you know, I, I, I definitely would have respect to the, the Viz uh, speaker, I forget his name, but the, that interview seemed like he was almost casual about how successful Viz was. He was like, oh, oh, yeah, JoJo, yeah, we got JoJo. JoJo's doing great. Oh, oh Animal Crossing, all the kids love Animal Crossing, that's going to make us tons of money. We still got Pokemon. Pokemon's the biggest thing. We're not even making that much new stuff, but uh, we got some uh, Pokemon stuff happening. That's going to do well. Yeah, the,
0: the the Juggernaut just churning right there, right?
4: Yep, yeah, it's like... yeah." Because he was talking about, like, the interviewer was like, oh, so the Pokemon trading card games had a, a big boom recently. Has has that affected uh, your your Pokemon sales? And he was like, oh, not really. But it's still doing fantastic, and we got a bunch of Pokemon stuff happening. Um, so, like, you know, just by comparison, like, and again, I don't disparage that. I love a lot of Viz stuff. Like, I'm a, a massive Pokemon fan, and I like JoJo and all that. Lots of stuff he meant. My Hero Academia you know, love a lot of that, those properties. But with the Levy interview, there seemed to be a little bit more um, casualness and and sort of interest and fun, which I definitely, you know, respected as more of an artist type person.
3: Mm.
0: It's he like, yeah, going back to the whole digital thing with uh, with Stu. Like, I know the guy. (laughs) It's. You should call
2: him by his real name, DJ Milky, I believe. Mike. Thank you. Okay, and, uh, and
4: you guys well, need to explain this DJ thing to me because I it's we'll I do have it off no here. idea.
2: Okay, he's created his "quote unquote" original manga. Let's put it that way. Like, okay, he's, he's definitely a creative person, and it's like for better or for worse, he may have his words. But you know what I mean? There were some things from his interview that were definitely things we should take seriously and definitely think about because they could be good for the manga market in the future. I think
0: Kevin,
1: uh, Jeff, does princess eye ring a bell to you?
4: I, I don't think so.
1: So there were at least a couple of uh, OEL works where he had a direct hand in them and princess eye was one of them. And that was the collaboration uh, comic that he did with Courtney love the singer, okay. that, she not she. Don't, she wasn't a singer. She was like Kurt Cobain's, right. yeah. And uh, I think he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was involved with the alteration of the music and in initial D, like the anime. Like when they put out the anime.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting nightmares about, oh, no, <laughs> about uh, that music now.
4: This story is going. Well, <laughs> coming back to me, lots of directions. <laughs>
0: like he yeah he wanted to like you know
1: like it, it plays into what you were saying about how he wanted to dip his hands into different things and uh, in terms of the artistic aspects of the company
0: yeah and once again it may have messed up the original vision
1: like
4: did, did you know there are to... some sorry but go on. did he want to replace like space boy with like some western song
1: Oh, it's been so long. I don't even remember <laughs> all the edits, but well, okay. It, but but you know, for better or for worse, like you know, some of these changes were good. Some of these changes were bad. Like I am thankful that it. it you know it. It int- he introduced us to like Felipe Smith and uh, Management Mankova and you know we we also got exposure to some great. You know novels at the time like, like Full Metal Panic and The Twelve Kingdoms.
3: Hmm. But
2: then and if, he did uh, bring some anime at the very beginning and they tied it into some of the manga they released like GTO and stuff like that. GTO yeah, was most, uh,
3: noteworthy
1: Co- to me. Because uh, they had a they were the ones who uh, Kodansha worked with the most in the really? early 2000s. This was before Kodansha decided to go their own way and hmm. they went and That's And that was with uh, Delray coming out in the mid-2000s. That was kind of like the beginning of the end for uh, Tokyo Pop in that sense. Because they Mm -hmm. they slowly started to lose access to the Kodansha uh, back catalog.
2: Because they had Clamp, they had uh, Love Hina and stuff yeah. like that, and some other big hits from Kodansha. so that's where uh, yeah.
0: yeah, we can go. This can go on and on.
4: So, but... was was DJ Milky his pen name?
2: Yeah. It was his pen name, and oh, so he like, okay. had a good jokes, and there were some other ones other than Princess I and stuff like that, but okay. he's such an interesting character, even with the reality show and all this stuff, because he definitely feels like a creative person and stuff like that, but his background, his education, he was actually had a law degree and all this stuff, and could have been a lawyer, but then he did this, and he enjoys it a lot more, he seems to feel, he says, in past uh, reason your... that. Yeah, there's a thing right there.
1: At the same time, it's undeniable that some of his actions that the company back because it really felt like okay, I won't deny that the closing of borders in the US like it borders closing in the US like definitely impacted his business like without a doubt. But at the same time, I feel like to me when they folded the way that they did in like the late two thousands or whatever, or maybe it was early 2010s. I don't remember anymore. It kind of felt like he did that on a whim. I didn't feel like it was necessarily a business decision. At least that's the impression I got at the
2: time. Hmm. Hmm. It's hard to say, like, I don't know. It's
0: like Well, a couple of things kind of like last points that kind of stick out to me and maybe, and really I want to talk a little bit more at some other point about Stu Levy, the infamous character. In the industry, because he is a looking back, and this is the Rip Van, the anime Rip Van Winkle and me talking. He's he can be uh quite polarizing. And, well, there's, and I think there some were some people he
2: would not do an interview with because I know for a fact they wanted to try and get him on Ancast, but he just was not going to do that. And he went and did interviews with some other places and stuff, but he never did Anime News Network or uh, the An podcast. do you remember who he did interviews with i forget but there was one that was on youtube that he did an interview with and stuff like that but it was interesting
1: i have to look Mm -hmm. for that because i feel like he definitely would have wanted to dodge uh questions about like the questionable things that he did throughout the years because you knew zach would have grilled him on that stuff
2: no they would have taken him and asked the questions and obviously he just he was not going to take it in the right way and stuff like that yeah but yeah. uh the other thing you talked about borders in that and he talked in the interview interesting enough that they don't get as much big upfront buys that would be returnables back to them and stuff like that so that probably helps them out too as a boutique publisher and the other publishers as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well I'll
0: say this much uh, as we wind it down, uh, wind this part down. Zach and Stu, something tells me that would have been must-listen radio if that w-
2: ever came to pass. It would have been must-listen to uh, podcast radio, indeed. Yeah.
0: And, uh, well, the, uh, maybe just to just to tie a bow on it, the thought that came to me was his lamenting that the industry hasn't reached the netflix spotify point and i know we can talk about that on mass but he that his lamenting but he also kind of started to outline why it will have to get there because of the popularity of things like uh, webtoon and korean comics and chinese comics and the it, it, it's he his belief is it sounds like it'll happen with the japanese side of the industry being pulled into it kicking and screaming <laughs> that's just what it, he makes it sound like.
2: And it was I mean, interesting too when he talks about being bullish on the digital industry and then talking about the Spotify model. Is they question him on it, and they said, "Well, what about the original creators? It's like, what about their cut of the can and stuff like that?" And he said, "Well, hold up the phone, stuff like that. Some of them that would have had a hard time under the old model have had, found ways to earn more money under the subscription model. And stuff yeah, like that. that's and he right. He that, that was a bold he statement." Kind of
0: it was an, it was a bold statement to say that the CD era
2: he was talking about CDs, Yes,
0: was wasn't all that for a lot of people.
2: And that's I actually the, like, haven't t- read right here. That's a key I the I'll read it actually here. I thought. Read it. Out, he's yeah. talking about uh, the interviewer asked, but the growth Spotify has crashed the revenue for creators versus the previous malt. And then Stu Levy basically says that's a fallacy. I don't know if you've heard of a guy Bob uh, Leftsitz. A very well-known music analyst and journalist who talks about this a lot. Back in the day, you sold a CD for $16. The only people that could really make money were the people who sold a decent number of CDs. A challenged artist could not make money. Now you're not dependent on the record label. If you put your product out there via Spotify and streamers, and it does well, you end up having a lot of control over not only your revenue stream, but your business and your music opportunities. He says there's tons of music artists that don't make money, but there were then too. It's very difficult in content overall, whether you're a filmmaker, musician, or a writer, to do that professionally and pay your bills. And it's basically, we've all aspired to be in creative industries, which is why we're in the business. And it's certainly not easy. It's a privilege to be in the business and stuff like that, which it was interesting to hear that flick, this was a point. yeah, that
0: was like that's one of the more telling lines in it. And once again, juxtapose this, and I, I forgot if it was uh if it was Hamrick or Hassler who who kind of said this, it's worth keeping in mind that the domestic market in Japan is shrinking. And that the only way to grow it is to grow it internationally. This is the kicking and screaming point that I brought up.
2: And they were talking in Stu Levy's about how they may be overtaken by Korea and Japan stuff like, that. and, and that's that's, and we and that's the about manga versus webtoon and stuff like that. And that was the interesting part to there's, that I know. There's,
0: there's competition in that sense, right? Like if it's 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 a combo. Of, it's a combo of those two things. You have that. That is one point you, the, that Japanese creators will have to think about. It's a great product. It's still a very good product. But there's still something in there culturally that keeps it that they're so protective about. They have to come to terms with that. Yes or no, right? That's the and that's the fascination with just reading these three interviews. You know, all the separately and then look at it all like as a set because they all they all they all sit with each other. And I don't know, as I said, we'll put the links up to these three interviews. They are an interesting read and then just think about them all as part of the same argument. This is, uh, we can go on and on about this. We Trust me. We come really back to could. it as
2: we said, right? <laughs>
0: well, we, 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 and we will. And when another development or another thought comes up. Okay. Uh, but on the topic of digital just for a second, and this isn't, this wasn't in the notes, but I think we should bring it up just for a second because I know James mentioned it to me earlier in the week. Sony stopping download to own of movies. They'll cease that later this year. Or when is it again? I think in the fall.
2: Yeah. And, I, and you know what? I was thinking of bringing it up during the tech thing because they were talking about it too about the Blu rays and stuff like that and about yeah, the, um, 4K Blu rays as well, because they were asking if they were going to make more, and they said, Yeah, we probably will. But they made mention of certain interesting parts of the 4K Blu rays where they can only do, I think it's 1080p and up for that. Mm-hmm. So if it's SD, they can't do it like they do with the SD Blu ray So that would be a problem for older shows going forward and stuff like that. You would mm-hmm. have to, if you want to do it physically, do Blu ray or do uh, streaming or do a digital and stuff like that. And so that's an interesting thing into that. And as we said with Sony, they made note of that. They said it was because of customer preference going to the streaming services like that. They're like, no, we're not gonna do digital to own or something like that. Now, the real question is how many people were actually buying on the PSN network. I don't think it was big as say, Apple or Amazon or other places. But definitely, no. I'm sure those other big boys, they're probably thinking about it and wouldn't mind pulling the trigger on that at some point. In the yeah, future that's a thing. And stuff it's like fun. that because of the way people are consuming things, right? Right. And it's so not. It's people are not going towards anymore. streaming. It's like streaming is the next thing after Blu ray. We're going to a distilless society, but I hope that we can still buy things and actually have ownership of what we love. You know what I mean? And give say we have a piece of it, you know what I mean? Because you don't have Mm -hmm. that when you're streaming and stuff like that. Well,
4: another big problem with uh, sorry, just with that downloading thing, I definitely would prefer it um, at least having it as an option, because I remember when uh, Steven Universe was uh, still airing and they would upload their episodes to um, the Google store. they would go on and off the Canadian store like every other month. So like, you know, as far as like which countries have licensing rights and everything, if you download them, that's great. You theoretically, you know, with some limitations, at least have a little bit more, um, you know, uh, chances of that staying on your device. Um, But for streaming, it's, you know, up to the whims of licensing agreements and the, uh, the companies involved. Um, yeah, and the they, thing is, just they don't be,
2: give you a heads up and say, oh, yeah, by the exactly. way, it's going to be coming off yeah. in a couple of months. It's like you know, maybe one week or a few days.
0: I was about to say, so what's coming off of Netflix
5: this month? Well, oh. I mean, for, for the streaming point of it, I mean, yeah, it sucks. Stuff comes on and off. I, on the ownership side of it, I mean, I feel like we're going to get to a point where... The only things that we can physically own will be collectible items, right? I mean, limited runs or limited edition stuff that gets released, right? I mean, ownership in itself in and of itself is like not going to be a thing in like ten years, right?
0: Yeah, that that's actually yeah, funny
2: that's because a good question. Oh, go um, ahead,
5: Mike. Go my ahead, Mike
2: Tool. Min uh, that and stuff like that when they were asking about where discotech was going to be later on, and he was saying he was thinking people like us getting those physical products—that's a boutique uh, thing at only a certain amount of people. It's going to shrink and stuff like that. And then it's going to be interesting to see what medium that is. Because remember, the past two years and stuff, we've seen that where a lot of the uh, people selling anime, they're just doing Blu-ray now because they can't do DVD. They've said no one's buying DVDs anymore. They just won't, even if it's the same quality and stuff like that compared to SD Blu-ray. They want the actual Blu-ray and stuff like that. They believe it's the better quality. So at some point, right? They're going to think, think well. the same Think the same thing about digital and stuff like that. They won't buy the discs, right? Well, it could be in 10 years, right?
0: It comes down to just space. Uh, the whole space-saving idea, uh, Kevin. And because, like I said, they're they, they, me... they able to fit a lot on Blu-ray. Sorry about that. No worries. Oh, go ahead. It,
1: it makes me think about how, in Toronto, I don't think there are any anime stores that also carry Blu-rays anymore
0: we kind of yeah and that's something we kind of tackled yeah. james and i kind of tackled in the uh 15th anniversary
1: yeah like, 15th
0: anniversary The like
1: anime, like anime extreme does not carry blu-rays and they don't carry anime anymore for the most part they may have some stragglers that they don't keep up on display but they definitely got out of that business the beguiling by and large doesn't carry that stuff anymore. They did used to. They might still have some leftover stuff, but I don't know if they're regularly keeping stuff, like, getting in new things anymore. Uh, I know Harry T still has still has some stuff, but a lot of it's older. I don't know if they've been getting anything new because they've been focusing more on, like, Warhammer and, like, TCG sales as of late.
4: Uh, yeah, like, I think your best bet for uh, physical anime in Toronto is Walmart.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking that I was going to say the internet is probably the other place (laughs) you want to go because even with our crappy dollar, you can still get. And the thing is we talked about in the previous, the 15th anniversary, right? Mike, they, they slashed the prices so much that no one is going to make a buck in the brick and mortar of selling these physical discs and stuff like that. It has to be, a mass play. And so online is where people are doing that and stuff like that, whether Amazon or write stuff or stuff like that. And I'm still paying, like it's just boggles the mind how much we're paying now versus what we used to pay and stuff like that. And probably they think now the people now they're saying, Oh, it's way too expensive and all this stuff. And I was a chump for paying all that money way back then for single discs and all that stuff. But then I wonder how does any of the creators or any of the team Get any money and we keep on hearing stories about the animators and stuff like that we could do to pay a little more you know what i mean
0: and we'll talk about or, that or, or a know.
2: little you know i mean they could yeah and i know less of a discount or something like yeah that. and, and
0: um, i know we're gonna have a longer discussion about that in the future mo
5: well i'm just gonna say i mean like that's i feel like that's the that's the road we're going down right i mean in a few years time or whatever it's gonna go back to single disc uh prices it has to right i mean everything will be limited down to super exclusive limited run stuff and everything else will be just streaming because as you said there's there's no way you can make money off of uh, releasing the way that they're releasing it right yeah, no,
3: so what no, have, money
2: to we be... said, we'll have the discotech uh, boutique lines for anime and different things like that. But yeah, on no. the main, you're right, we'll have Criterion lines. You know what I mean? And the different studios will have different Criterion lines. Yeah, them. we'll
0: have to. Like I, I, the thing is for uh, for this as a living. Yeah, I guess we'll have to. Uh, there's something I, I'm not see, uh, that I have I haven't seen myself to this point. I, I'm pretty. Maybe you guys see it right now, but I there's, there there I, I, we have to think of. Like start to change our thinking when it comes to that, I suppose. Oh, and I guess to end this end this part off, uh, coming back down to Stu, I, I just remembered he like at the in in his uh, interview he talked about, you know, yeah, the, the there there will be digitization, there should be digitization, and because just as a general consumption, but in terms of the physical stuff, that still could be that there's still going to be a realm for collectors and that will maintain the physical side although drm is still going to be a thing too and it's all it's a mess really when we try to see
2: which ones get the criterion releases or the physical releases because the collector there there are so many shows now that are thrown out and it's that other thing of remember we always had those shows back in the aughts and that because there wasn't as many those were the evergreens those were the ones we would remember share with other people and they always say they're the gateway drugs the cowboy bebops and that and you wonder how many of those are here now how many people are going to remember my hero academia or demon slayer stuff like that i hope they do but we'll see what happens
0: the thing is if they're forgotten at a point somebody will remember again and we'll be looking for them so who knows (laughs) Like Because we're saying that about restoring older stuff. Kevin, one last thought, and then we'll uh, move on.
1: This is a quick little aside, but James, have you watched or read Toilet-Bound Hanako-kun?
2: No, I have not, but I know Kurt Hassler did mention it in his interview, and so I guess I probably should give it a look at some point. Because
1: like, that's apparently a, a huge seller for them, and I guess I didn't really notice how popular that anime became
2: it's kind of was it a Crunchyroll, roll or who was that? Or was that Sentai? I can't remember now. Yeah, I don't remember. It okay. was one of the two. It was one of the two. All
0: right.
1: It just like I just found it surprising. It, it just seems like it came from out of nowhere and it just became like a, a good seller for them. Like I and I was like I was in conspiracy comics uh earlier this week. And like, yeah, like I heard two girls talking about that show. I was like, oh interesting.
2: Uh, you never know where your next hit is going to come from. Right. So, right.
0: Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, as I said, we can go on and on, on this I topic.
2: think we've kind of already gone on Mike. So I think there's a, yeah, the no, there's, we're going to have there's, to leave in the chambers. We say, <laughs> well,
0: we'll, leave it. well, there there's until another development comes up and something fascinating. I know we'll revisit it again. I know we will. That's inevitable. Okay. So two more things before we end off tonight let's go through the anime community calendar as it relates to things we care about here in Toronto or maybe you'll care about online and they're all related to places we've been to already the um japan foundation Toronto just a quick reminder in the in the shadow or in the offshoot of the j f f plus last month that's long done but the doc some Online discussions from it are still up. Most notably, a discussion about the documentaries that were shown at the JFF Plus. We're going to put up a link to a discussion about them and a talk by uh, three, let's say, well uh, versed critics and uh, scholars on the topic. Jesse Cumming, Doctor Darcy. Gauthier and Joanna Miracle. We'll put up a link to that. Probably worth watching. They'll uh, talk at length about, about peace, Torasan and Goto, and Tsukiji Wonderland, which were three, um, three of the documentaries that were shown during the film festival. Let's see. This Thursday, March 18th, the Japan America Society of Dallas... Fort Worth will continue their series on um, on various aspects of Japanese pop culture, but uh, they'll be a little bit more topical this time. They're going to do a talk on Japanese pop culture's response to COVID nineteen. Roland Kelts, Seo Nakajima, Aki Nakanishi, and moderator Bill Sutsi will talk at length, and I'm pretty sure that'll be an interesting discussion. Um, I think last time uh, we talked uh, about about the Japan America Society, Matt Alt appeared on that.
2: Correct. So
0: that'll be an interesting talk for sure. And finally, the Japan Foundation New York and its ongoing series about taking academic views of Japanese pop culture, anime and manga, they're going to continue their series um, finally, because uh, the last one was Sailor Moon back in January, but at, on March 30th, they're going to talk about a current trend, called, which they refer to as two point as two point five D musicals and beyond, the adaptation of popular anime manga properties into stage shows uh we it's happened before i mean rose of versailles was popularly adapted into a stage show on, via takarazuka and that they've kept that ball rolling with other uh, other sh- other titles i think kenshin actually ended up in there prince of tennis sailor moon naruto token ranbu they've they've gotten the treatment and we'll they'll talk at length about this here dr akiko sugawa shimada Dr. Zuhi Amithi Lu and Dr. Mayuko Fujiwara will talk at length about this little phenomenon. And on that note, um, we talked at length about, about Miss Mone uh, Kama Shira- Shiraishi, the uh, star of, of uh, Lady Maiko and Your Name. This week they announced she's been tapped to to take the lead role in the stage adaptation of Spirited Away coming soon to a Japanese theater near you. So that's kind of uh, worth noting as well and those are things to look out for we'll put up links to those. And on that note also um upcoming trailers. Let's talk let's talk uh, for a couple seconds about this cuz we saw trailers for the next live action Rurouni Kenshin which will come out in April and then I think a final movie in May or June, I think June, right, Mo? So we talked about that looked really interesting and just uh, coming back to uh Miss uh Miss Kamira Ishi for a second, the star of the K- Kenshin movies, Takeru Saito starred with uh the aforementioned Miss Mone in a live action drama um recently and Fan and fanboys and fangirls of the two of those two love their chemistry so much, there's a there's hopes that that could uh translate into real life, and I think a lot of them are hoping that's another story altogether, I'm sure. But just watching that uh trailer, there's a lot of links to stuff we've already talked about and seen through various other live actions and the film festival, and then the other. Other trailer of note to have come out that caught our attention this week was the first trailer for the Way of the House Husband anime, and it's received some mixed reaction. Is this is this a case of high expectations and maybe unrealistically high expectations we're, we're talking about here?
2: Probably mm. high expectations, I'd say, on that one. So that one's coming out, they say, globally to Netflix, April 8th. But the other thing is they had announced JC staff was going to be doing the animation and stuff like that before. So you would have thought some people would have some things in check, but once they finally saw it, they weren't exactly pleased to say the least. They felt it was like, Oh, you've just have the, I could walk, read the manga and still get the gist. Like it wasn't like coming. It didn't feel like it was coming off the screen and stuff like that. And there was some of the thing of JC staff was working quite, quite a lot this season i think they have over six series they have to work on so there was a question of how much time were they able to give this series the love and care and stuff like that because i guess a lot of people obviously care about this series and we're expecting more out out of it
4: it's it's a much beloved series but you know it's also you know a a slice of life um and you know, that I mean, part of me does understand, like, you know, this. it's a very beloved series. Um, there's a live action coming, but, you know, some people prefer animation. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely do get it. But another part of me kind of is very cynical and it's like, come on, look, you got color, you got voices. What more do you want? Um,
1: want a good adaptation, damn it. <gasps>
2: <laughs> I think it's going to be OK, but yeah, I can see like it's. JC Staff, it's their workman-like quality and stuff like that. Sometimes they knock it out of the park, but I think they'll, stu- they'll do all right uh, with House Husband and stuff like that. and We'll see yep. yeah, how it goes, but a lot of people were kind of calling back to what uh, JC Staff did with another one Netflix stream for them, and that was Backstreet Girls. So they were comparing it to that, and that was similar animation to say the least and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it, I thought it was still okay, and I it, don't it, mind being okay sometimes.
4: If the drawing quality is okay, then, you know, I don't think every, you know, anime needs that, um, you know, Sakuga clean you know, every lip slap, you know, animated, you know, smooth pirouettes of every hair strand. Like, <laughs> it, it could be, it could still be fun. The music could be great. The voice acting could be great. Yeah, it could be a little bit choppy, but, you know, I, again, I don't think every, series needs to be you know
2: i think if you enjoy uh, the manga will enjoy the anime i think as well but thinking back to people being very critical or very pointed with their comments and stuff it made me think back to attack on titan final season switching mm-hmm. from wick to mappa and people were just looking for things to criticize and stuff like that and it's kind of just taken on a life of its own sometimes in these type of arguments
4: I huh. adored Cromarty High School, and thinking back, like I think that anime had like five frames of animation per episode or something. So. Now,
1: now, frames—it <laughs> was like twenty.
4: But <laughs> I fucking
1: love Cromarty. Okay, great.
4: Yeah, so you know, I think it's—it's it's pretty soon. We'll find out in a couple weeks. So,
0: three things come to mind when I hear about this story, and I should. I'll do my best to read up a little more and fully watch the trailer. But three things come to mind. One, well, we had that talk last week about what happened to uh, Caleb Cook and my hero and his handling of My Hero Academia. That's one thing that comes to mind. Although, along not not exactly the same, but you know what I mean. Just mm-hmm. along a similar sen- a similar feel, a similar sentiment, a similar mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing. Um, the last episodes of the EVA TV series. And the third thing is early anime production, Osamu Tezuka and shortchanging. That mentality, that kind of, you know, kind of us, uh, st- you know, the original sin of the industry that was kind of outlined uh, en masse in many different other places. But um, I remember reading about it the fir- uh, in. Pure invention, but it's been—it's a story that's been documented plenty of times.
2: And I—those are this,
0: the things that come to mind when I hear it, when when you guys talk about it. Oh, go ahead, James.
2: I guess the other thing as well—we have that. But you think about shortchanging, and we were talking about this isn't exactly going to be traditional because Netflix has put the money and stuff like that. So I guess that's why some people's expectations were up. It's like okay, if you guys are going to hire these studios and put the money in we're going to expect a little something more. So I feel like there's some of that in there too, right? After we've mm-hmm. seen other productions and we've been wowed. And so I guess some people expected to be wowed, even though it was JC Staff and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, maybe it's Sonic the Hedgehog too. Um, but, uh, and this is more for a more for mental note for the future, just for a future episode, because we can't talk about it now. We've gone way over time. Netflix and CRTC. We we, we got to talk about that, I know, in the future episode.
2: I guess you'd want probably Jesse on there too. He has uh, 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 well, encyclopedic uh, and, knowledge, as we know.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, if failing that, if we don't do it, uh, check out Zan in Canada in the very near future right? because they've already touched on it and I think they'll touch on it almost certainly in more detail. Okay. And finally, before we go tonight, our obligatory... Uh, our obligatory run through our reading and watching cues, and just for the sake of time, I've asked everybody if they want to do something—no more than two titles to mention.
3: Mm-hmm. Two
0: hundred so titles. See how, let's, see if, let's see how. Let's see, if, let's, see if, let's, see if, let's see if we can keep the whole episode under three hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who wants to go? And, and you can end. and You can defer if you want. Mo, you go first.
5: All right. I saw High Rise in. And it was really good. Uh, Netflix did a good job. Show started off a little light, but then you know, finished strong. Possible second season. We'll see how it goes. Uh, They put in the money. Oh yeah, they put in the money. That's Netflix, right? If that show does Netflix,
1: if that show does as well as we think it will, like Seven Seas will be very very happy. They will get a huge (laughs) boost in their sales for the manga.
2: I'm just wondering: is some of the manga? Out of stock or out of print because I know they started that a while ago, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I I actually haven't been paying attention. I know, like as of I know before the end of this, before the end of last year, it was all still in print. I haven't kept up with it lately, though. But I would imagine now that that show is out, people must have started buying the manga, and hmm. that may that and why are you having pr- trouble
2: buying it, James? No, I'm just wondering, because I was thinking about what we were talking about with Seven Seas tiles, Kevin, so I was like, I wonder if anyone will be able to buy it after their WoW, just like Mo and stuff like that. But hopefully once July happens and they switch over to Random Penguin House for a distribution, uh, they can uh, get some of those mangas that have had some anime or successful anime and give them a little bit of a boost, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Anything else, Mo? Uh Make making my way through uh, Violent Evergarden as well. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, how, how was that? Uh... I I don't know, man. I'm 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 liking it more and more with every passing episode. I don't know why, but I I I'm very did, much enjoying to,
2: it. I need to tell you, Mo. So I was watching that recently. I finally got to watching the discs, and my mind is blown because I was watching that with people for their Netflix. we were doing a joint viewing of that. The thing on the Funimation disc is actually basically ripped straight from the Netflix thing, like the subtitles, everything is the same, it's not even the same style that they use for Funimation, it's just mind-boggling, I've never seen this before, and it just cements what I said before that, it was like, I don't know why they went the lazy route on that, because it's such a great show and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. because they okay. have uh, more things that weren't on the Netflix thing. You know how they go back and touch it up and stuff? They did that for Violet Evergarden, But I hope you enjoyed it and stuff like that because it was fantastic and stuff like that. And it would have been nice to maybe go over the subtitles just a bit because I'm sure they were under the time crunch like they always are.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks, Mo. I will say just before we move, um, two things come to mind as, as Moa kind of talked there. Netflix... Uh, getting into the anime industry is it the repentance of the original sin or a selling of souls to the devil don't answer that we're gonna talk we may talk about that in a in the future but just a thought okay who wants to go next
1: oh just a quick aside james uh yep some of the high-rise animation
2: volumes are becoming out of stock someone told me that so that's what i was thinking of and that's why i was asking
3: hmm
0: okay okay uh Who wants to go next? No one has anything else that they they want to talk
1: about in their queue? I'll go next. Uh, Okay, okay, Kevin. Two titles. So I'm... I'm approaching the end of Honey and Clover. I'm now at volume 7 or 8. I'm at volume 7.
2: How has that been?
1: Man, it's... It's such a dense read at times, like...
3: People That's why it's really... interesting.
2: Did you watch the anime, Kevin? Because it feels different between reading and watching. Because it's, as you said, it feels very dense. It feels like I'm really trying to grab everything. There's so much happening in every word bubble and every, uh, in yeah. every uh,
1: scene. I I never got around to watching the anime. I purchased it, never opened them, and then uh, decided to cash out on those when they were out of print. Cause I was like, you know, what? I'm just yeah, never gonna. Okay. Yeah, I, can't... I when when that license got announced, I was like, yep, it's time.
2: <laughs> and then oh, no, it's still a great read. So I hope you enjoy that one. Oh, I love it! I love it. It's like and there's and there's one thing just to point out on Honey and Clover from the Creator Biz we found out uh, a week ago from uh, Dempa. Yes. They uh, tweeted on and announced that uh, the one we've been wondering from uh, that creator, from her uh, March Comes in Like the Lion, that's going to come to uh, North American English Shores uh, next year in uh, 2022, they said. And it is a long series, but uh, it's going to be worth the wait. But it's such a different series than Honey and Clover talking about Shogi and stuff like that. Yeah. It... Talking about art school.
1: <laughs> we can only assume mm-hmm. that Viz didn't think it was worth the risk. Because it never had an anime. And I, I imagine uh, Honey it did Clover ha- it did didn't...
2: actually have an anime, remember? It yeah, it, it, an it does now. Well, it took
1: a long time for that anime adaptation to happen. But I I think it's safe to assume that Honey and Clover didn't do as well for Viz as we would like it to have been. Or maybe to their liking, because they did not license uh, March Comes into the Lion, despite its uh, critical acclaim and even with the anime out they still didn't do it so they they it to them it was probably too risky especially now that shojo manga just doesn't sell as well as it used to by and large like they like you look at the shoujo beat line for viz they don't put out as many shoujo titles as they used to
2: it's weird i think i see more shoujo titles from kodansha than i do from viz and stuff like that and i I can probably count on my hand how many shojo beat ones we've heard in the last few years and stuff like that. And even some of the stuff from Kodansha, it feels like it's more digital than physical, right?
1: Yes, it's definitely <laughs> more digital now for Kodansha, especially for the shoujo manga. There's definitely not as much coming out physically. I know LDK uh, is probably doing very badly now, so I think they started to omnibus that release, for example, but... Uh, back to Honey and Clover. Uh, it's definitely like, you know, it's it became increasingly more relatable to me as the manga went along because you have you have Yuta Takamoto, uh, you know, trying to figure out what he wants to do in life, and he feels like he's stuck, and and you have all these unrequited loves going around, and and the frustrations of trying to like finish university and wondering you know what you really want to do in life yeah that that stuff hit hard with me i gotta mm-hmm. say uh it and i have to really commend uh Chika umino and her love for like design and fashion and art because lots of different chapters in regards to like little bits of clothing and fashion that I thought were pretty funny. Like there there's one extra chapter where uh Mayama, I always don't remember the first names cuz they usually go by their last names in Honey and Clover, but he worked at a design firm at one point and like you get you, you get introduced to some of his colleagues and there's a special chapter about one of his male colleagues who who is being dressed by one of the female coworkers as a joke and he would wear all these outrageous things, but because he's a tall guy and good, and he has good proportions, he would always pull off anything that he wore, no matter how silly it looked. And I thought that was a pretty yeah, funny That chapter. was
2: a good one, yeah. Uh... Uh, mm-hmm.
1: And earlier on, uh, also, Hagu walks by a department store, and she sees a pair of uh, Mew Mew mules, mules sorry, a pair of mules by like this uh, high fashion brand called Mew Mew. And Morita notices this and he actually went and bought those for her after he got paid for one of his random ass jobs that he does. So just little nods like that. I were uh, I thought they were pretty nice. Like I was like, yep, this woman loves her fashion for sure.
2: No, it comes through in that one. And Honey and Clover is definitely a timeless one. So you can read it yeah. back then. You can read it now. Same for the anime and you're still gonna relate to it and love it.
3: Okay. Yeah, I'm hitting
2: the end
1: um, to, I'm hitting the end for that one, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh on the queue for what's next, because I know that was Mike telling me to hurry up. Uh <laughs> I despite still needing to read JoJo, I might actually dip into Detroit Middle City. Cause that seems like that will be next on the group read
2: do you need uh, any volumes because I have the full series uh, in behind me right now and that's a fun one
1: I'm good James I, I still I have it all
0: shrink wrapped <laughs> yeah.
2: well mine and <laughs> okay. are not shrink wrapped so they're not protected so
0: James <laughs> your turn um, title James
1: <laughs> like, they actually were shrink wrapped by this when they put them out in case people were wondering <laughs>
2: You can always get the anime from Sentai, but but they were broken. How about uh, Jeff? Let Jeff have a word here.
4: I think uh, on me... uh thankfully uh dr stone is starting to creep out as far as the dub release of stone wars which is the second season um i Mm. did find out that the reason for the delay was actually the um storms in texas i completely forgot that funimation is based in texas oh Uh, yeah So when, when i remembered that i was a little bit less annoyed that there was a delay in uh in my dubs i'm like oh okay you can Take all the time you need. But it's um, weird because would... they've had dubs. They've
2: been doing mm. it in Texas, but because they've gone so big and had to get so many people, they've been doing outside of Texas as well because I heard a recent one they're doing at, uh, what was it? The old um, one that Genion used to use. They did Capcom games and Helsing and stuff like that. Um, oh, now I forget their name. It's escaping me. Jonathan Klein's New Generation Pictures.
3: Yeah, so
4: uh, still still a great, a great show. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the the rest of it. And uh, my number two would probably be, um, I think it's an older uh, live action anime from probably eight years ago called Parks and Rec. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, pretty funny so far. Um, I think what it, about it, uh, it... Fraser? It's it's a little bit annoying that it only has the one opening, um, not not even a lyrical opening. I prefer I prefer my songs to have lyrics or my openings to have lyrics, but uh, yeah, pretty good arc so far.
3: Just...
2: <laughs> James, I tried to fix how the Parks and Rex went because yeah, it was a great one, wasn't it? When NBC had it, oh. Go ahead, James. Okay. So I I had the one that I told you about, Mike, and that's the only one I'll mention. It actually keys into what we talked about uh, the previous episode, because Caleb Cook actually translated this manga, and that is uh, The Girl Without a Face. It's one volume, so it'll be easy on the pocketbook for everyone to get and collect, and basically it's about, obviously, this girl without a face and her boyfriend and their relationship, And obviously this is because uh, this boy is human and then his girlfriend is a yokai and uh, all the people in their neighborhood are a yokai. And basically she has no face because she's a nopera bo, which is a yokai, which is a human without a face. And so that is where you're kind of going down like dark roads, stuff like that. And you see a person, you're like, oh good, I see a person. They turn around, no face. You're like, oh shit. But luckily, there's nothing scary in this. It's a very slice of life and uh, nice uh, romantic uh, comedy with uh, this boyfriend and his girlfriend without a face. And it's only one volume because supposedly this creator, it started out on Twitter in 2019 and went for about a year before they collected it.
0: Hmm. Oh, it's my turn?
2: Yep, your turn. <laughs>
3: okay.
0: Okay, I'll, 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 and I'll try to be quick. But I do want to mention both the titles. I, uh, I that that is one's on my queue still, and the other will be leaving it shortly. Uh, the one that's leaving, I finished watching the anime version of Great Passage just an hour ago before, or just an hour before we started taping. So that's um, it's that's on Amazon Prime. That's a discotech release, worth the watch, but it is subtle. So it's probably I'd say for an older crowd. And, and I know some of its most protective fans will say it's probably one of the better ones most people don't know of. But, and this is um, of note to me, uh, or of note to past discussions we've had. Remember, this was a move. The Great Passage was originally a live-action movie, and then it was made into an anime. And... That's the order I've seen these two. We talk a lot about anime being made into live action. How about a live action being made into an anime? What's the difference there? What's the difference in how the viewer ends up seeing essentially the same plots, same events play out differently from live action to anime, not anime to live action? And it made me reflect about the subtle differences in the presentation or maybe not so subtle differences in the presentations because for the first time it made me realize how exaggerated anime can be sometimes with people's dialogues and facial expressions and reactions and what have you. Because obviously you kind of downplay it in in a live action movie, but you have to kind of exaggerate it, I think, in people can can tell me i'm a little off on this thinking you have to exaggerate a little bit for the purpose of anime and it's worth noting remember the source material for this was a novel and the novel is actually available on uh, on the Kindle store for 99 cents right now so there's a there's a recommendation right there and it's a 2014 uh, 2016 anime the movie was 2014 i believe or 2017 anime. One thing that always caught one thing that caught my attention on this is it used by and large the same animation style throughout, but it used different techniques and camera angles. If you want to use it, sweeping shots within that same style, and that's something that caught, grabbed my attention while watching it. So um, if you have if you have a Pro, uh, Amazon Prime account, give this a watch. It's only 11 episodes. Not much of a commitment and i think you'll like it. I, or if you're into the more subtle uh stories and this is more of just the just this this is more just a life story, a slice of life story worth the watch. The other one is and this is probably going to help me get a little bit more into present time, uh Demon Slayer, because i've been yes, i've started watching the anime. I'm 10 episodes into that. Really enjoyed it, i have to say. Um, and ju- just for reference, I'm watching, I'm alternating between sub and uh, sub and dub. So I'm watching the odd number episodes in Japanese, the even number episodes in English. That's neat. Uh, just to see the subtle and the subtle differences. Mo.
5: I did the exact same thing for high rise. I watched the first few episodes in English and then switched over to Japanese and kind yeah. of rotated back and forth.
0: It's interesting. I think, yeah. And I think after all this discussion on the sub and dub debate we've had re- in the recent months, Although maybe I've started even doing it before, I'm just, just to understand the little nuances and just to see what the interpretations are of the characters in their English and Japanese language forms. I'm I'm getting into that habit of alternating between the two now, these days. And so that, I, I guess I'm that was
2: one. the greatest gift that happened at the start of the, of the DVD era, as we talked mm-hmm. about, that we could yeah. alternate between both and that's a big feature we forget because i love that fact that we can go between episodes and go between the different performances and stuff like that and i've usually found enjoyment in both now sometimes it can fall flat but you never know
0: yeah it could fall flat you're right and um one last thing one of you guys referred to a character as a whiny bitch who was that last time
5: say what who's the one now
0: I think in the
1: who it was Zenitsu. Zenitsu. Yeah.
2: So is well, Kevin's uh, point uh, right on the mark there? Then
0: right. I don't Zenitsu. Uh, uh, recap for me. It was Zenitsu who
1: like
0: always Oh, Yeah, yeah. Him. Who's, who's, who's constantly? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I haven't. We haven't really met him yet, but it's getting there. Although, uh, although that other uh, character whose name I forgot, Yoshiro or something, is. Uh, right up there too is he the guy um, with like the mohawk
1: kind of hair no he's the g-
0: no he's the he's the guy with the do- with the uh, demon doctor whose name i forgot right now
1: oh him
0: yeah uh, names i forget right now but i remember who's who
1: yeah he's, he's pretty abrasive too but you don't see him too much
0: well that that's i i don't i don't doubt that after the way that after the way those episodes went he'll be back but you don't see I, him I don't much. doubt that either um but To end off, on the topic of animation styles once again, I like that they use different animation styles here, how they meld together the more traditional animation styles with the CG and make it look so, so natural in the same picture.
2: And I think it's the power of uh, UFO table and stuff like that. Because you can see what they've learned from, uh, mm and many other projects, right?
0: Yeah, it's just, but the way they do that, the way the visuals just come off is so impressive for a TV anime to this point. And I can start to see, and I'm starting to understand why it's so popular. Enough so that I'm giving serious consideration to buying the big box manga set. When that comes out sometime in the fall and uh, Kevin James, let's talk about how to uh, get a good deal on that because right now Amazon has that I believe for 226, give or take a dollar and Indigo has it officially at its regular price, which will be 260 Canadian but
2: oh really with
0: the plum with the plum plan you can probably get discounts and that's worth talking about
2: the about other something. thing is they might have uh, a sale on box sets they sometimes do
0: so and we have until uh, early october on that
2: so you have so, a so long time, time to think about it so i wouldn't worry well those bonga
1: sales have been pretty dry as of late that no, the i TV. haven't noticed
0: anything i haven't been able to act on anything i've been i and i do get the emails from i
2: was them, gonna so. i was gonna let you know that yeah. Kevin. i'm checking week to week but they kind of flipped the pattern and stuff like that because they did different publisher sales last year probably starting yeah. in august and then august yeah. september october mm-hmm. but they didn't do that they did just a general manga buy to get the third three in august back in only. august now, yeah i'm not sure if it's gonna happen in march or not because they did that the previous marches every other year before that so they've kind of flipped the script we'll see uh when the next sale happens right that's all like, you can right. do
1: because it used anyway. to be like for at least two or three weeks for that sale for march but now i my guess is that they may only do it for a week
0: we'll find out we'll find out the thing is i i have a de- i have a decision to make to apply for the plum plus program because there's 8,500 plum points at stake at the end of the month. You if I need to
1: spend at least a good two, 300 bucks for a whole year for that 12 month duration to justify the cost of that card.
0: And that's why, yeah, that's, and it. that could do it in the box set a manga box set like that could do it.
2: And if you get the discounts and all that, it works itself. But I guess if you buy a certain amount, I'm not sure if Kevin got the email too, but they sent me an email. I have to decide if I want to go into this thing where I guess you're an insider and you can give them suggestions about the Plum Plan or something like that. Oh, I did get that, yeah. But I'm not sure if they want our suggestions, Kevin, because (laughs) if you look at our yearly data, it's like we've probably only been buying manga. (laughs) And like novels and God knows what else
3: i buy
0: the odd thing to myself though so anyway so my focus uh i guess uh anime wise over the next little while will probably be to at least complete the demon slayer series
1: oh uh, let me know when you get closer to the end because i need to watch the last five episodes still
0: <laughs> okay i wouldn't mind okay. a joint viewing of that somehow We'll figure. I'm sure we can figure something out. And yeah. then you
2: guys can go to the movie whenever uh, that comes over. I'm yeah. Whatever. Sure. Well,
0: yeah. Well, that's another story altogether. And I know we can save that for a future episode too. Because you
2: know, we'll have to we'll have, have to uh, some very big mess and everything else on to protect. Well, we have ourselves a lot to of. Go.
0: There's, there's no shortage. Sometimes I, I feared earlier. Remember a few months ago, I feared we would have a shortage of stuff to talk about. Nope. No shortage. I don't see it anymore. We'll be fine. We all have plenty of things to talk about. <laughs> but uh, I think we're all tapped out for tonight. Oh, I don't know about that. I am.
2: <laughs> well, let's put it this way, Mike. If some people wish to uh, have skipped over the uh, first part because they felt it was a little too serious, we gave them enough in the second part to sate them over. Yeah, they did.
0: I think, we, I think so.
2: Made it up. Oh, I, I,
1: have, I have a story that I'll tell you guys once we stop recording.
0: Okay, well but for everyone listening well that's, that's the power of seeing the show live <laughs> that's all we got for this evening once again a quick reminder where you can reach us since we didn't uh, mention it at the beginning of the show email anime roundtable at gmail.com twitter and instagram at animeroundtable animeroundtable.com is our website for show notes and past episodes also don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts if possible because reviews and especially good reviews will help our chances to possibly be exposed to other people who might listen to this show this is where kevin now says five stars thank you (laughs) we typically do episodes every other week once in a while we'll do something consecutive maybe we should do weeklies a little bit more but uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your stuff so you can be reminded whenever something new has dropped in the feed. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. How many times did we say, for better or worse, I think we know our drinking game this week.
2: I don't think I said that, did I? Oh,
3: wow.